just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. You're joined today with Lord Yarvin, Gray Mirror, <laughs> Gray with an A, uh, Gray with an A. Dot com. Gray with an A, the American way, dot substack dot com. <laughs> this is uh, inc- uh, incredibly intimidating. This is a, a um, you know, th- this is one of these things you, you can't, it's, it's difficult to introduce because smart guys, they, um, they, get, uh, they get nervous when you start kissing their ass too much. Yeah, so I, definitely. I thought about a way to explain because um, lots of people. Uh, uh, well, I'll just put it this way: so this is a guy who thinks in in, in big big scale, big scale things and systems. Best way I can describe this: so there was a, there was a, a one day. This doesn't happen to everybody. So there was a day that uh, Curtis Yarvin is at work and he goes, "Well, goddamn, I guess I'll just have to write my own programming language." That doesn't happen to everybody. It's more common than you think, actually, but, uh, you know, it's still, uh, it's true. It doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah. And uh, so we've got, we've got a hot topic. This is something that um, that uh, everybody wants to talk about. And really, this isn't really a subject for amateurs. This is kind of a, you got to know what you're doing with something like this. And so what this, this story starts in September 2020, I believe. Uh, Mr. Donald Trump on his way out issues this um uh what, what do you call it uh whatever uh this this kind of executive paper order that... manifesto exec- i believe it's an ex- ex- i believe it's an executive order but you know kind of legally it might as well be a tweet but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yes and uh and it and he says um there's this thing called crt and we're starting uh there's we're going to cut off no more um these these training seminars and this kind of stuff from the uh, federal budgets, which he controlled at that point, and which was rescinded, like like as Biden is walking the door, says no more money to this. And there were comments in this in this thing where he says this is an evil, uh, uh, this is an evil idea, which is an important part. And uh, by the way, th- this is this discussion is based off a piece on uh, graymirror.substack.com. Uh, your piece, uh, well, a, a snippet of the of your of a larger piece, and the snippet, I would guess we would call it. Uh, on banning ideas. That's right. That's right. And that's the public one. And then I've kind of adopted the kind of marketing model of Scientology in, in this, this latest thing where you sort of get, you get a, you know, really meaty good story if you read on, on banning ideas. And then, um, if you go further and you want to purchase the premium content, uh, you get to as breathing in consciousness return and, you know, that shit will just blow your mind, but you got to pay for it. Um, and, uh, it's like the Xenu of, of, of Grey Mirror. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the more, the more, the more I, the more I, 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 I grift, you know, the more I admire just it's the amazing grift that was Scientology. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, on banning ideas is the piece and, um, it's basically about the, uh, our little crusade against uh, critical race theory. Um, so do you want to, you know, where, where do you, where do you want to start with that? Do you, can can you get me from there to a question? Okay. So I, I, I guess that, well, I don't know. It, so there's uh let me, let me think how to go with this. So, uh, and by the way, uh, you know, the premium content, if you keep going, it, it, it goes right into, uh, basically how to become a dictator of the United States, which is, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you would, you would figure information like that might cost you a few nickels. Exactly. 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 My favorite right. part was when he debunks Plato in the, in the, uh, the four article. Yeah. As one does. 
<laughs> as one does. Let's let's just go straight to high IQ stuff here, right? Because we want to blow past. Because sure. the, the easy the easy part to me is that um, look, you're like all, like if you look at the teaching profession, the institutes that create the teaching profession, um, uh, like this is just the this this idea is not going anywhere. Well, it's like yeah, it's like it's like trying to strain the shit out of sewage, basically. I mean, uh, you know, if you'll excuse my French. Uh, and, um, I mean, it's just like, it's trying to strain the shit out of, uh, yeah. It's, you know, the... Uh, I mean... Yeah, let, let's let's go let's go over the easy part first. You know, can I can I kind of you know sure uh, recapitulate yes. the easy argument first because the easy argument you know really needs to be made. Uh, you know, the easy argument is you know there's something about conservatism which has this kind of you know um, I forget who called it. This isn't my term. Uh, memento conservatism, where they basically have like you know no idea of the same things that have used the same approaches against the same enemies in the past, or even more so, they, like, despise them. So it's like, you know, when I think about, for example, um, when I think about the sort of the, the, the populist electoral political crusade against teaching, quote, critical race theory, what I think of is, for example, let's go back 40 years and look at Anita Bryant's campaign against homosexuals in the schools um, or teaching homosexuality in the school or whatever. Here was this like model who was like the spokeswoman for Florida orange juice. And then, you know, she started to lead this like huge anti-gay, like, like political movement. Right. You know, and, and of course, since it was the early eighties, it was kind of both extremely anti-gay and extremely campy. Like there's kind of this like <laughs> Olivia Newton-John element uh, to it, you know, and I'm sure if you go back and watch, you know, some of those clips of uh, Anita, Bra- uh, Anita Bryant, you know, den- denouncing homosexuals, uh, I, there's no homosexuals to listen, listen, listen to this, this fine podcast. We're all good, good old boys here, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that um, and when we uh, when we listen to Anita Bryant, you know, denouncing the homosexuals, you know, we have to remember that, of course, this was not a fringe. This was a majority perspective at the time. Uh, and 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 like as strange as it may seem and. What happens with all of these things, like banning communism or whatever, you know, there, there are these sort of <laughs> spasms, like the spasm of the of the rabbit in the jaws of the boa constrictor, where you just, at a certain point, you know, the boa, which is trying to swallow you gently to kind of keep your meat tender, uh, you know, the boa is, you realize that you're actually being swallowed by a boa, and you, you try to bite as hard as you can, but, you know, you're sort of very much living in the moment as that rabbit. So when you look at basically what happens when you do something like this, you're basically, you're pulling a lot of energy out of people. And you're pulling a lot of energy out of people to pass a law. And indeed, I, you know, um, I mean, as I, as I said in this piece, um, this guy, Chris Rufo, is just is in measured in like the mileage of conservative activism. He's like Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky and Tiger Woods put together. It's Tiger Woods actually is the best comparison because this young guy comes on the scene and just immediately starts dominating, right? And you know, not only does he basically get this this you know, executive UK, this decree, this imperial rescript from from God Emperor Trump. Uh, you know, he's gotten laws passed all around the country. He's uh, you know, he's you know and and people you know, there's this feeling you go out and you pass the law and you're like, you're winning. We've won. Right. You know, um, and uh, I mean, 
And when you look at, you know, what you've done there, you have to remember that one of the easiest kind of tricks of psychological warfare that lets you just effortlessly prevail is if you can get if you can persuade your enemy that he's won when he hasn't won anything at all. So when you look at, you know, what is the impact of these laws or whatever? Well, you know, imagine them first of all like a law is not a law unless it's enforced by a court right what is a court mm -hmm. a court is a judge what is a judge a judge is a law professor in a black polyester muumu right <laughs> so you know you're basically um um the uh you know you're basically saying, oh, we passed this law, there will be some, um, maybe there'll be like a court case. I mean, this is literally, this is literally what went on with the Scopes monkey trial, right? The state of Tennessee passed a law against teaching, you know, evolution. Um, and, um, you know, then young Scopes teaches evolution, and it's this huge shit show. And, you know, it's, of course, the idea that, you know, really Tennessee uh, I think it was Tennessee, uh, would maintain like gulags of, ev you know, evolution teaching like high school teachers, <laughs> you know, Yankees who came down with these theories, right, about men being related to apes. And, and <laughs> you know, like, of course, this is just like, it's the sort of dying gasp. And so what you see in these dying gasps is that they basically allow people who are conservative activists to feel very, very good about themselves and to basically get a lot of attention and a lot of energy for doing something that's not, you know, sort of without concrete effect. And I think if you talk to most of these people, they would agree that their actions are without concrete effect, but they have this kind of thing, uh, you know, in a computer science context, this is called, I think, specifically with respect to AI, it's called the first step fallacy. It's like basically like, oh, you're here, you have this big problem, but if you take something that seems to be a step towards solving this problem, you've basically done a good thing. So they're like, oh, now we'll take over, you know, We'll take over, you know, school boards. We'll get school boards elected on these, you know, on, on these principles. And it's like, you know, man, if this were the kind of country where, like, school boards diligently controlled and managed the education of the community's, you know, children, like fucking some Norman Rockwell town out of 1832, you know, the townsmen all come together and they're like, you know, should should the little our little children be taught evolution, you know, and, um, and I uh, like, and what is the school board now? Like the school board now is just it's a bunch of like random bureaucrats with paper pushing jobs. You know, they're not like, there's no sense of, of kind of local sovereignty over education. Mm. Where would you even start with that? Like you're, you're, you're basically, <laughs> you're trying to resurrect something. You're trying to resurrect an epiphenomenon of a long dead society, not by resurrecting the long dead society, but just by resurrecting the epiphenomenon. So you're like, oh, you know, these where are these school boards going to buy their textbooks that are carefully freed from critical race theory? How are they going to comply with state standards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? <laughs> and you're just, you know, you're conjuring into action this machine that you don't have, and you're conjuring into action, especially a huge amount of energy that you don't have. And I think one of the huge mistakes that people, um, I believe that basically all, all, just about all kinds of conservative activism is, is a mistake. And in, in particular, what this mistake <laughs> does is it, is it burns energy out of people. And so people go and they go and do something and they pass a law and they're like, ah, I've made an impact. And then it turns out they haven't made any, any impact at all. You know, really, if they wanted the law to be enforced that have to, I don't know, demonstrate in front of the judge's house or some stupid thing like that, right? And at a certain point, 
they enter a condition that psychologists know is learned helplessness, where they basically put out a bunch of energy and nothing happens and their energy dies. You know, it's like the, uh, the Tea Party. Remember the Tea Party? Like the, you know, the like 2010s Tea Party? Yeah. Where didn't it just dwindled away. It just, the whole thing just sort of, you know, uh, basically lost its heart on. And the thing about conservative <laughs> activism, the thing about liberal activism is that it's energizing because you feel this constant feeling of like disrupting and destroying things and gaining power. And you're sort of always gaining a little bit of real power or you're always damaging your enemies or you're always damaging the world in some way. And so it's sort of, you know, Moreover, the more you break down the world, the easier it is to break down. It's a it's an entropic force. It's like corroding, you know, your car or something. Um, you know, you guys are on the east coast somewhere, so I think so. You have cars that rust. We don't we don't really rust out here in the west. Um, but um, yeah, we have to go go to uh, Arizona, you know, every so many years and, and scoop up all the classic cars for uh, redneck yeah. rides and shit. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you never see a rusty car around here. It's unheard of. Um, um, it's like seeing a personal. Uh, never mind. Um, um, the, <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, what was I saying? What I was so saying. Uh, step two. Step two would be there's a uh, a QAnon deputy sheriff in the classroom, like with his hand on a revolver, while this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, right. You know, the thing is, you're basically the point is when you're imagining this Norman Rockwell future, you just rapidly proceed into the world of pure fantasy, where you know you're basically like you might as well be like imagining. You know, remember the the underworld, like the '50s underworld from A Boy and His Dog. You guys must have seen a boy and his dog. Oh, oh my god, you've never seen a boy and his dog. Oh my no, god. Sure. I, I watched uh, Hitler what? Lives, which you recommended last time. So well we there will be we will we'll look into this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I mean this is the original you know, this is the boy and his dog is made from a Harlan Ellison novella. It stars a young Don Johnson. Don Johnson's like seventeen years old, right? You know? <laughs> and and like and 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 sort of has this kind of it's like Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. He has this kind of innocent young male sexuality. Um, and then they go into like this uh, – it's impossible to describe. It's, it's really like, like Mad Max on a bad acid trip. It's a great film. Um, in any case, uh, you know, you're, you're imagining – when you try to imagine sort of – you're imagining this thing that restoring the past would give you. And instead of thinking, oh, in order to get to this thing – I have to restore the past. You're like, oh, just give me this thing. And this thing of like schools that are organically controlled by the community. There's no community anymore. There's a goddamn suburb. Like every time you hear the word community, it's some kind of euphemism, right? And, and, <laughs> and so, you know, you're, you're not living in the present tense. And when you do these kind of things that are ineffectual, they just burn people out and have no result. Let me give you one, one example uh, that I think is is more possibly closer to the near and dear, near and dearer to the hearts of your young, you know, urban readers who are, of course, uh, you know, uh, allies and 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 so <laughs> forth, um, you know, but who may live in major cities. Uh, I was down in Austin recently uh, with my kids, and we go past uh, driving into Austin, and they're like, "Wow, this is a real city," and my daughter wants to live in a real city, so you know, she's like, "This is a real city." I'm like, "Damn straight, it's a real city." And we go past City Hall, and we see this huge row of tents, like you know, and. My daughter is not a big fan of, of encampments, right? And so, you know, this, this, this uh, you know, uh, makes her down on Austin, which is what I wanted. So um, the, um, 
you know, but uh, I mean, we can we can uh, we can talk another time about you know what the the sort of the right right or the wrong answer is here. Uh, the point is that they just had in Austin this campaign called Save Austin Now, where it was basically a civic revolt of people who want to uh, uh, not have, you know, encampments uh, in some way, shape, or form uh, against the extremely pro-homeless uh, authorities in, in in Austin. And they had, you know, it was exactly the same thing. We're going to have a referendum to pass a law. And the law will say that you... Um, you can't, uh, you know, camp on the streets or whatever. Uh, and they passed the law. Save Austin now. You know, they saved Austin. Uh, they passed this law two months ago. Uh, now what they're attempting to do, I believe, the last time I looked into it, they were attempting to get the govern- the, the state of Texas to pass a law penalizing communities that did not enforce their laws. <laughs> um, you know, this is kind of epicycles, but uh, whatever. And, and what I, you know, so I talked to a bunch of the people in Austin who, you know, some people have been kind of peripherally involved in this thing, right? And I reminded them of a piece of history that, uh, in general, they had no idea of, which was the um, kind of in the early Gavin Newsom era when he was the mayor of San Francisco. Um, we had we did almost exactly the same thing in the early 2000s. We had a sit-lie ordinance. We passed an ordinance, and it was a huge debate. It was like, you know, and of course it's San Francisco, so they're basically like, the people for this are like, well, we don't really hate homeless people. We just, we're, we're, we care about them. We're looking out for them, you know, their, their, you know, for their safety and health. And the people against it are like, you're Nazis. You're Nazis. You want to gas them all. Just admit it. Right. You know, and so, of course, um, you know, as sometimes happens in these things, even in the, a place like San Francisco, the sit-lie ordinance wins. Right. And so now, as far yeah. as I know, it's still like all, uh, you know, against the law in San Francisco for to sit and lie on the sidewalks, let alone pitch a motherfucking tent, let alone build like quasi permanent structures. Right. <laughs> which is uh, what you see in some places now. Right. They have so, garages and two story tents and shit now. Sure. Yeah. Two story tents and shit. Exactly. Um, and. So when you look at this, you say, okay, you basically took a bunch of people's energy and you said, here, you know, it's like the, the, the phenomenon of learned helplessness is like you put the rat in the tank and you basically give the rat a platform that it can swim onto and save itself. And it swims onto the platform and then the platform drops away into the icy water and it's swimming again. And after like the third fucking time, this rat doesn't even try to fucking climb on the platform anymore because what's the fucking point? He's just going to die. He becomes a very pessimistic, nihilistic rat. And, And this is essentially what happens with sort of many of these kinds of civic revolts where they're like, oh, just, you know, here's a sort of one thing that's kind of bothering me. And, you know, it's like uh, that's what you're doing is you're sucking that energy out and you're sort of profiting from it in many tangible and intangible ways. And you're taking those people's energy and you're dissipating them and you're not making anything better. Furthermore, you're more than dissipating those that energy because there's really the whole kind of emotional support of oligarchy in this country comes from people who are afraid that they're about to be sent to the concentration camps. And there's a lot of these people in the Bay Area. And every time you have an uprising of the peasants with pitchforks, even however pathetic or ridiculous it is, they're like, 
because they're so attuned to power, because they're so, so addicted to power and think so much about power, they just, you know, automatically are like, we are just going to be pitchforked. And I, I mean, you know, and they start just picturing like the tines, like entering their bellies, like these peasants laughing maniacally, <laughs> rat boys, you know, raping them on, you know, on broken glass, you know, like, like this is their picture of being <laughs> subjugated. Yeah, as, they, as, as they, they were genuinely... They were genuinely afraid from uh, the January 6th thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, right, 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 right. And and they were basically all going to get that that treatment that that woman at the University of Virginia did, you know, when she was raped by the frat boys on the broken glass table uh, that I read about in Rolling Stone. Or was it Rolling? It was Rolling Stone. It was Rolling Stone. Um, it was Rolling Stone. And, and so, you know, these, these fantasies arise in their minds. And so, essentially, you know, you are this tiny, insignificant lizard. Like, you just have no power compared to them. But you, you know, through the magic of their, um, you know, their, their lighting, their cameras, have been turned into Godzilla. And, you know, to fight this Godzilla, they will bring out the nation's whole police force. They will, you know, and, and you know, you're just Nuclear incredibly bombs. useful yeah, to them. Things. Yeah, yeah, and and so you're just incredibly useful to them because you represent, you know, this fear of something real happening to them. You're not actually something real, but you basically keep, you know, sort of the only proper path out of this is that they, their energy and their support decays and the young cool kids start, uh, you know, being against them rather than for them, you know, which basically takes them from, like, you know, communist Czechoslovakia in like 1946 to communist Czechoslovakia in 1976 right and 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 so every time you give them this opportunity every time you give the you know um the elites an excuse to be afraid of the townies uh you know that's what's done in this Wallace Wells New Yorker piece on on Rufo you know it's basically like you know my god you know the townies are taking control of education and it's like the townies are not taking control of education they just like smeared their greasy hands on it once uh it's still exactly what it is um and and that's not going to change you basically are you're participating in this stage show which objectively makes your side weaker and their side stronger, and you're pretending that its effect on the battlefield is the opposite. Now, your pretense is absolutely genuine. Like, it's not like I use, I, I love throwing the word grifter around just as a, you know, like in a self deprecating way. I mean, you know, Nurfo is no more or less a grifter than I am. He's, he's, he's absolutely and completely sincere, as am I. He's just, I think, wrong. And, 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 but he's sort of wrong in such an ambitious way and such an interesting way that it sort of starts to come closer to being right. And I think that that's, that's what's sort of so refreshing about this at the same time. There is a refreshing, you know, I can see why, you know, for me, you know, shitting on it causes me like waves <laughs> of, of subscriber cancellations or whatever, but, uh, you know, I don't really care. Um, what, what can and, we say? About the president in exile, like if if he had banned if if he, if he uh, so he didn't like ban CRT in the schools. His executive order essentially said you can't like none of these contractors, none of these NGO groups are going to get paid money by you know the State Department, DOE, whatever. Well, right. So if to, you to look at if you look at even the if, it, if you look at even the proximate effect of that decree, okay, what it says is basically it sends a whole bunch of people scurrying to pretend to comply with the decree. And so, you know, what they have to do as a process is, they ha- is they'll have to basically say, uh, I mean, it's, well, I mean, uh, it's, it's nugatory. 
now, but you have to say, okay, you know, we're banning critical race theory. What does this actually mean? It means, uh, you know, like it just, I mean, how do you even define that as a piece of a process, right? And you're, you're defining that as a piece of a process to be implemented supposedly by people who absolutely don't believe in what you're doing. And you have no – your executive order is not binding in any sense. It's basically just saying a tweet saying Trump would like to do this. Um, Washington does like to actually pretend to be obeying the president. But there's just no way that you can get, I mean, anything <laughs> out of – they'll just do more diversity training. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, this isn't critical race theory. Or, you know, like it's so easy to, to right. just bureaucratically dodge these things. It's like a bull, you know, charging a matador. You're just like – there's like you think you can beat a bureaucrat this way? <laughs> I mean, like my god, right? You know, and, and so – you know, it, the gesture itself has this kind of futility to it that I think is also very damaging because even if you don't sort of pour your energy into it and recognize that it's futile, even if you sort of look at it from the outside and be like, oh, yeah, that could never possibly work because it just doesn't align with your reality, that's something. There's also, you know, the other thing that's amazing, uh, you know, about it to me is that even the sort of the negative quality of it has this defeatist, you know, uh, you know sense. It's like to say you should not teach critical race theory is to say, well, what should you teach? Uh, you know, do you, what do you teach about race? What should you teach about race? Uh, can we, you know, what is what does Chris Rufo think about that? Uh, you know, could he put forth <laughs> a curriculum? You know, um, uh, this wasn't my idea. I was I was chatting with a friend, which is you know uh, I think a much more interesting and creative way to uh, to combat critical race theory as we know it. It's a technique that actually Microsoft first uh, first pioneered, which is called Extend and Embrace. So, you know, basically, for example, have you ever been called a racist? You know, I think that happens to, to a lot of people. I'm not exactly sure what the word means these days. Certainly people have called me a racist. But what if, you know, anytime you were called a racist, you, you sort of could gently correct your interlocutor and you could say, no, actually, I'm a critical race theorist. <laughs> Right, and so what you're doing is you're taking critical race theory and you're and you're repurposing it. You're saying no, we're gonna we're gonna actually we're gonna accept critical race theory. We're gonna wade into it. We're gonna create a new critical race theory. This is gonna be a critical race theory that's aligned with the science. Uh, this is a gonna be a critical race theory that's data based. Um, and Gets we're gonna on it. We're gonna <laughs> have FBI we're gonna have a stats. We're going to have a completely, completely general, uh, you know, critical race theory. We're going to, you know, we're going to know how to criticize any race, any mix of races. Um, we're going to have, you know, well, yeah, I mean, we're going to revolutionize critical race theory. And, you know, all that we're going to ask is, uh, have you know. Five year olds, have five-year-olds yeah, uh, separating all, all, Ashkenazi from, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything. Like those old World War, you know, like for me, critical race theory is really, it's like, you know, those old World War II posters, how to tell a Chinese from a Japanese, right? I mean, and <laughs> if you can't do that, right? I mean, that's like, that's like Johnny can't add, you know, material, right? I mean, um, and... And so, you know, this, this, like, the, the thing is that that way of, um, you're not opposing critical race theory, you're extending and embracing it, you know, that way of sort of handling this problem, uh, you know, which is just sort of one, one, one of many kinds of approaches that, that could be taken, 
um, it's lighthearted. It's fun. It's like it's it doesn't it's not sort of butt hurt. Uh, and when you're you know you're basically just like saying my butt hurts because you're teaching me you know this bullshit. It's like you know you know one. I mean, of course, it's bullshit. Like, uh, you might have noticed that maybe there's some other bullshit uh, in the schools. Um, you know, why don't you, like, maybe you're going to broaden your anti-bullshit campaign to, I mean, uh, it's just, like, <laughs> you know, the sort of the negativity of it is so profound. And when you're basically, your whole the whole thing is a complaint. And complaining is beta. And if you <laughs> want to be matter at all in history, just don't be beta. It's it's embarrassing. It's well, really okay, sad. so well, well, let's play devil's advocate here. So, well, so we we've it, it, well, it, it, I, I, I've been running around basically making a pro anti. Well, saying uh, this banning banning CRT stuff is good. And uh, okay, so now that's great. But however, our conflict <laughs> is at last out in the open. Right, right. It, yeah, this is uh, this is um, okay. So, but th this first normal part, people, normal people did normal people did. Like, in, in your piece, you say that the CRT is essentially the the common belief for every educated and important person already. Like, this is not a yeah, new a new it. wild theory. They all believe they 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 received this programming along like you know decades ago. Well, they they received they were. It depends where you were. I you know I certainly got it decades ago at Brown. Right. Right. Uh, it depends where you were and who you were and how cool you were. It's certainly just gone crazy more mainstream in the last five years. But there's always been sort of you've always had to accept its existence. You've always had to condone it. You've always had to know that it was there. And, you know, in a certain sense, that knowledge creates your complicity. Right. If you're a math professor and you know that your math is absolutely, it's great math, perfectly good, everything you teach is, is true, all your proofs work out. But down the hall, you know, in the room across the hall, what they're doing in that classroom seems, you know, to you to make a real mockery of scholarship. But that's okay because uh, not your problem. Marketplace of ideas. Yeah, well, I, we get this yeah. all the time where people say, hey, this is just a theory. It's not, you know, hey, that doesn't mean anything. It could be, you know, there might be other crazy theories, but, like, they all go in the same direction. But that's beyond. Yeah, that's yeah. beside the point. So, so you, you've you've basically con you've condoned it already, and at that point you've you've already kind of lost the battle in a sense. Well, somebody like Rufo isn't, like, like uh, my dad did not know what critical race theory was. Until recently, well, what's your right? what's your dad's what's your dad's position in the great food chain? Does he uh, does he sweep up the floors in an in Albertsons? Is he uh, um, you know the governor of of Minnesota? Uh, <laughs> you know where 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 what is your what is what's your dad's cultural background? Right, okay, but in your in your piece, you, you're, you're talking about like we're, we're going to restore the Stuarts eventually, right? That's a, that's 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 the, that's the long term uh, goal, right? Right. Die, Siri. Pardon? <laughs> Can you repeat that? Uh, sorry, Siri hijacked my audio, and for for a moment I was talking to Siri. Uh, you know, I was I was asking what what your uh, what your dad's cultural background was, whether he sweeps the floors at an Albertsons or uh, you I know, it's the, the trains, governor of Minnesota. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get your, yeah, I get yeah. your point. But, but I'm the upper. Shirt. 
Uh, yes. Uh, excellent. 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 Uh, you know, I think, yes, I, I wish I could get my son into the traits, but, uh, you know, um, master electrician, uh, he doesn't work. You know, that's yeah. 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 So the master electricians don't really know, but you know, this is, this is something that has, you know, of course, this is a food chain that has been going on for a long, long time where, you know, the master electricians are, you know, it's, even when they vastly outnumber the fucking Brahmins, uh, they um, the kulaks, the kulaks. Uh, even when they even even when they vastly outnumbered the kulaks, uh, when the kulaks vastly outnumbered, you know, the nobles. The nobles were the the kulaks. Eventually, wound up believing whatever the nobles believed. Right. So you know, you see, you see the um, you know the the trend just passing through every like everything in every cultural trope. Uh, the ruling class, you know, cultural preferences and intellectual preferences are a leading indicator. So well, you're always, you're always, so you know, essentially, for you know the the master electricians of the world. Can you still hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought I might have been Siri might have jacked me again, um, <laughs> but um, I can figure out how to turn that turn that shit off. But um, in any case, you're like to reverse that. And to say no, the elites will be the takers of power, and you know it's like, and we, the master electricians, will will begin to rule. I mean, the closest thing to that is something like the Iranian Revolution, right? Where basically <laughs> yeah. the, the the civil society of Iran just gets like fucking mullahed, right? You know, and and the thing is, if you have the like the energy of the like the mullah supporting class in Iran in the seventies. And you compare that to like the energy of like suburban soccer moms. That's like 200 to one. Right. So you're basically Ugh. trying to, you're trying to get drunk on like, you know, barely fermented apple cider here. Like you have so little energy in the population. Uh, you know, so, uh, the, you the, the way, the way I usually say it is you're trying to run a car on apple juice. Sorry. Well, I, Sorry. Okay. If they're okay. So, yeah, there's not enough energy. You're talking specifically you're talking about sub- suburban soccer moms, whatever. Uh, yeah, suburban dads. soccer moms. Sur- suburban soccer moms are not going to install the Iranian Revolution and put in like, uh, you know, uh, Pat Robertson Jr. to like start hanging gays all over if the country. If you tell them like, that they're fucking happen. with their kids, that they're fucking with their kids in school, uh, you don't think that can yeah. create some energy? Like that's the one thing that, that you, you you would imagine yeah, could you can, create some you, energy. You can create, yeah, sure, you can create a little bit of energy, but you've been trying that for many many years. And the thing is, you create, you get a, you get a little bit of blood flowing, you know, but it's not as much blood flowing as they need to actually create any kind of structural change. It's only as much blood as, as flowing as is needed to do kind of, some kind of fake shit. So basically, that blood flows, the fake shit happens, and then next time you're like, uh, "Should I really do this again?" Because nothing happened. And right. so you know, you Reagan, can get their basically, yeah, Reagan <laughs> basically. So it's like you can get their blood flowing, but the thing is, you're kind of grifting them, and I kind of don't like that because my sympathies are with these motherfuckers. You know, like sad as they may be, um, you know, I'm a traitor to my class, and and I'm just like, man, these people are getting fucked, and 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 so you know, basically from the pers- from that perspective. The way I think about this problem is very, very simple. You're basically building an amplifier here. You want to take the very limited amount of energy that the modern, you know, soccer mom person who feels the 
doesn't really like encampments, whatever, the sort of modern kind of casual conservative. And you want to maximize the structural impact of that very low amount of energy. So, you know, rather than saying, okay, we're going to do something, because the essentialist, you know, the essential kind of axiom in your theorem of this is a good idea is we're going to do something and it's going to create energy to do something bigger. And the only reason that you believe that is that it's basically worked for kind of many generations of revolutionaries, but you're <laughs> actually not a revolutionary, you're actually a reactionary, and it's just not going to work for you. Also, all, a lot of other great things like revolutionaries do don't work for you, like having like demonstrations to take over public buildings. Um, and, uh, and, and, I've, got a, and, I've got a different way yeah. to go with this. Okay. okay, so and let's it really Rufo is not really where I'm thinking here. It really the uh, the executor of something that would be that would work, and the guy who uh, uh, I guess the story that made me immediately think I, I was like, uh oh, uh, I got to go back to my Yarvin here is when uh, Mr. DeSantis was like, I'm going to do an audit of what all these these uh, these pro uh, professors are thinking. But here, here's right. here's where argument. Okay, so you know when you go when you get on a, an airplane, there's these people that frisk you, right? Imagine, well, let's well, forget trying to uh, uh, restore the Stuarts. Uh, imagine just trying to get rid of those people. Right. Uh, you know, they have like a fucking union now and shit, right? So you, we'll never get rid of these motherfuckers. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, never, uh, no empire is forever. Uh, you know, that's, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the the one of the things that I, you know, I, I sort of, of like to start saying is that is that big things are easier than hard uh, than small things. Big things are easier than small things because you're absolutely right. You'll never get rid of of, of these people because they have a union, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll never get rid of any. You can never get rid of any government, you know, department. Right. The only way you can get rid of any government department, therefore. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know, and that's why big things are easier than 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 small things. The big things are actually quite hard, but the small things are just freaking impossible, right? right? And so the thing is that when you know, and when I see someone basically pulling energy out of the public to lead them into basically to lead them into a box canyon, and I know it's a box canyon, and uh, I'm just like, no, like this is not. This is not right. Uh, you know, please do not lead people into this box canyon, even though it feels, you know, it's fun to, like, go on the, like, chanting, you know, crowd waving flags into the box canyon. But it's not really accomplishing something. And, you know, worse and, – and it – and. In some ways, the the most negative accomplishment that it has is that it basically convinces you implicitly because you're assuming implicitly that everything is fixable and everything is basically fine. And so you're saying – because even the people who are fighting – you know, the critical race theory battle agree by definition. Otherwise, why would they be asking for a law? They, they believe that this system can be changed to abolish this abuse. And if they don't believe that this system can be changed to abolish this, this abuse, then you're basically like, okay, wow, you really are a grifter. But if you believe that the, you know, that this is an abuse and that the system, you know, can be changed to accommodate it, uh, you know, that's a very reasonable reason to say, no, you know, let's repair the system rather than replacing it. And, and that's based on an illusion. So you're actually, your objective accomplishment is to essentially defend the regime by flattering the regime in a way that it simply doesn't deserve. Because you're, by, you're flattering it by telling all of your supporters who actually hate what it's doing, that 
it is nonetheless so good that it can stop what it's doing. And it's just not. Right. So know, if we want to get rid of the guys that frisk us at the airport, then we then we need uh, 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 best case, we we want uh, an emperor of the United States. We would settle for uh, someone who's uh, basically uh, has replaced the the uh, uh, you know the most uh, political positions with lackeys and who, or who tells the the uh, Supreme yeah. Court to fuck off something like this. <laughs> maybe in like a, uh, maybe it wouldn't be exactly. Uh, a, uh, zero AD. Here's the uh, United, new United States Empire, but maybe it's just someone who's uh, uh, just sort of doing stuff, and uh, the political system is just like, ah, oh, gee, uh, I wish he wouldn't do that, but he's just doing stuff, and we can't oh, stop no, him. even I, w- I would. That, that's not quite the right way to picture it. The right way to picture it um, is, you know, he's he's elected, you know, by promising a revolution, perhaps in somewhat vague terms, and um, you know, here comes, you know, he's elected and he's inaugurated. And, you know, while he's speaking, while he's taking his oath, things are already starting to happen. Um, he has a plan for exactly what to do. And, you know, a month after this event, not only will these institutions not exist, no one could imagine them existing again. It's like a month after the fall of East Germany. Can anyone imagine the Stasi, like, reopening for business? No. Completely impossible. And so you're essentially you're you're the way that uh, any such revolution needs to proceed is that it needs to keep its opponents completely demoralized at all points. This is basically, (laughs) you know, this is so. And the thing is, you know, when you do a little thing, you know, it's like Trump takes office and they're genuinely worried that Trump, you know, could do really essentially exactly this. He could just. Yep. Lock the doors on the deep state, right? And just lock them out <laughs> and, and, and seize command of the country and bring his people into the streets if he had any problems anywhere from anyone. And, and, and this is exactly if Trump had been the, you know, the thing that Trump was the cartoon of, this is exactly what, what he would have done. Of course, he was completely incapable of it. Um, but guys, that's guys what with they, AKs stormed the treasury is basically yeah uh, yeah exactly you know no u.s marshal yeah u.s marshals at the fed you know basically as quickly as possible you create a security force that's completely loyal to you and um you know sort of defy anyone to shoot back at them you start um you basically decapitate the existing chain of command by taking anyone who thinks he has the political right to order people around in defiance of you and putting them in a nice hotel on guam and um you uh you just proceed like what fdr the dis- did basically well, yeah well i think what fdr did with a little bit a little bit more edge because it was a very different situation in some ways fdr uh you know fdr didn't even have a mandate to do his hundred days thing he basically governed in the totally opposite direction that that he promised but you know the sense of the his thing praetorian is, guard is basically the uh the the what well, the now the cathedral yes yes essentially he has his massive praetorian guard okay that's that's important that's not necessary you know he has this massive intellectual praetorian guard full of you know people it's not just intellectuals these are truly very capable motherfuckers right and like he could get shit done he was like washington really did a lot of things at startup speed back then and and so you're basically like what you're doing in you know this kind of constitutional regime change, which you've brought about by electing a constitutional 
president, a constitutional president, as I never tire of repeating, <laughs> is a president who's actually the chief executive of the executive branch. And um, very simple. And, 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 you know, once you elect a constitutional president, the constitutional president basically looks in, at Washington. And uh, you should try this on any, like, D.C. person, you know, you happen to meet. You should just be like, uh, there isn't actually an executive branch in D.C. What we call, we call it the executive branch. But it's actually the legislative branch. It actually is managed by Congress and only, you know, fake managed by the White House. And, you know, like whoever heard of like, you know, agency officials testifying before the White House, right? You know, <laughs> um, um, their budget is micromanaged by Congress down to like incredibly fine light item line items. Um, they're I mean, they're, you know, like their personnel is I mean, their relationship with Congress or rather Congress, the congressional staffs is incredibly deep um, with the president. It's incredibly shallow. So and when you look at this, basically this legislative branch, which is a legislative bureaucracy, um, you're like, no, we actually we have a constitution that says we should have an executive branch. What at present we have in reality, due to various usurpations and frankly mistaken interpretations of the Constitution, is the legislative branch. Therefore, we're going to um, you know shut down the legislative branch. We're going to retire all government employees. Rage, and um, you know my one of my favorite acronyms. I think it's time for you know I first like. When I came up with this acronym in 2012, I was like, it's too early for this acronym. But I think <laughs> now is good. Um, and, and so you're going to retire all government employees. Uh, you're basically going to say we're shutting down the legislative branch. And we are creating a new executive branch, which is it's staffed entirely from scratch. Um, and actually just exists just to do its job, not to be this bizarre collection of self-licking ice cream cones. And that is what you're going to get if you elect me president. And if you don't want that, you should definitely vote for my opponent. Um, and and that's your, you know, if you're elected with that mandate, uh, they're just going to lose all hope immediately. They're going to, it's going to be a self coupe you know, mm. they're going to run for their lives. Everyone is going to be, everyone's sort of camouflaged, preference falsified guilt about what a shit show shit show this regime was will come to the surface and they will just lose their hard-ons universally this is what you know there's no like world of like former stasi employees where they're like conspiring to have like a revolutionary conspiracy to bring back the ddr no it does not work that way um once you're dead you're dead and and that's you know the sooner and faster you get an old regime to that point of just collapse, like that, you know, you have to have that Humpty Dumpty moment. And until you have the Humpty Dumpty moment, you're basically not doing anything. You're actually doing something where the closer you get to, you know, fucking around with Humpty Dumpty without getting him off the wall, like the worse it's going to be for you when all the fucking King's horses and all the King's men show up. And that's, you know, you you kill Caesar and it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's too late. Yeah, it's too late, right? So, do you, do you think that's Huey Long? A, Sorry, go. Ahead. Uh, yeah, that's I, anyway. I was just going to sum up and say that's kind of my you know perception of these Rufo like efforts. Now, of course, that's a very unusual perception that most people uh, you know don't share. You were going to go on about uh, Huey Long. Oh uh, well, no, well, uh, let me go back to the to this 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 uh, this pro this uh, this this argument here. Okay, so yeah, you know, the uh, what like what like why is uh, this machine so powerful, right? So uh, 
I these relationships, this, these relationships, these people, these government employees, you can't get rid of, right? And by the way, like you know, in the meantime, we have this elite overproduction thing, right? So like, right. there are just a fucking bazillion people running around with uh, law degrees, and um, that's right, that's right, you know, that's a plague. It's a they're plague. burning down cities and shit be, uh, until they can get a uh, a juicy uh, uh, a juicy uh, government job where they can uh, sit at home on COVID restrictions forever, right? Yeah, right. It's super gay. It looks like a they're like calling in like a lot of favors to get there's there is a lot of panic around this the CRT thing I believe. Well, that's exactly that this is exactly the point. You know, the 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 panic is a false signal that you're misreading. So the panic is basically you've created this lizard and the lizard is promptly amplified by the um you know the 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 television tricks of of CNN into a mighty uh, uh you know Komodo dragon. Uh, or even Godzilla himself. And so you're basically like, we're doing something because they're afraid of us is never almost, you know, or, or like, you know, we, wow, we really, we really pissed them off. We really scared them is almost never right. Because basically what they've done is they've taken your impact and magnified it like basically infinitely in order to, you know, get their like blue and on supporters to send more money. So, well, well, here, here's what you got to uh, black pill me on. Okay, so what, I, what I'm right. imagining is that this one of the great strengths of this regime is that there's a lot of people hanging around saying, "Gee, uh, uh, we're gonna get we're gonna get a um, uh, a sinecure as soon as people, let's say, in, in, you know, in Florida, say this guy DeSantis, he's running around, and uh, uh, the, the, the easy way to beat my argument, uh, you kind of got ahead with with that the the thing that's like, well, we'll just redirect it to. This thing called diversity inclusion, right? Because, uh, right. by the way, there's this this CRT. What is it? So it, this is like this. Uh, it, it's this the same ideology running. However, this is more. This is a a formal version drawn up by attorneys that accepts cash or card, right? So this is like, uh, you know, the army will bring in someone to perform trainings on this. However, like the right. thing is, all this is already legal to do this under this thing called diversity inclusion. Right. Uh, however, I think so, they were going to. So you're imagining. You're, you're imagining your, your you know, uh, policy as personnel, right? So basically, if you're imagining that these diversity trainings will stop, um, which is uh, very unlikely, or you're imagining that they will be uh, reformed maybe to instead of uh, – or at least to, you know, to give equal time to my new critical race theory – um, the, uh, which I think I, you know, I only all, 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 all these, all we new wave critical race theorists want is equal time. <laughs> and, um, um, I think that's completely fair. Uh, you know, and, and the, you know, then if you're imagining this, like not happening, you're imagining some completely imaginary body of people who look at these DEI training or DIE training, um, uh, materials and are like, well, this doesn't pass muster because I'm going to judge that this is, you know, critical race theory. It's like the Supreme Court recognizing porn. You know, I don't know what critical race theory is, but I know it when I see it. Uh, you know, and and you're, you know, you're going to ascribe, you know, personal responsibility to this this cadre of right wing anti critical race theorists. They're hopefully maybe they're all Mormons or something, clean cut young men. And you know, the, to to get a license to do DEI training, you've got to you know pass pass the you know pass the Mormon test. Uh, I mean, it's all it's all just a complete fantasy, right? You know, you you have you're passing this law, and there's no one in the government who wants to enforce this piece of paper yes. that you've passed. 
right. In well, the last no. two years, haven't showed have showed people anything. It's that it, the laws don't matter. It matters who's enforcing yeah. them, and they and they get to decide. Like the sovereign right. gets to decide. So another another thing, for example, you know, um, um, I forget who who said it that uh, all modern political diseases originate in Canada. Uh, I don't think that's true, <laughs> but they always they always infect the Canadians, uh, you know, worse. And, um, you know, they always, you know, when we catch a cold, they catch the flu, right? When we catch the flu, they get COVID. And, uh, man, did they have COVID. And one of the things that um, the U.S. has kind of so far been spared, although our judicial system has really taken up the slack on this, uh, is something called the Human Rights Commission. This is a completely separate judicial system that the Canadians created in order to enforce basically woke Stalinism. And, um, you know, uh, I hate using the word woke because uh, have you noticed that woke people don't say woke anymore? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so don't say woke anymore. Um, I try not to do that. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's basically these human rights commissions essentially enforce, uh, you know, the ideology of the 1960s, whatever you want to call it, on everyone. And it's a parallel judicial system that can impose fines. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially like this is basically pure revolutionary justice. Now, the revolutionary court cannot order you executed or, you know, banished to Sardinia or whatever the fuck. But um they can they take can, your money, which like, is what they want. They can with. take your money and just des- they can take your money and destroy your life. Um, and and so you know if you imagine you know you're like okay let's do leftism in the opposite direction. How do we fix this? What we need is basically hu- the equivalent of human rights commissions, but for the abolition of critical race theory, or rather its replacement with NCRT new critical race theory. The N <laughs> is small. It's like mRNA. Um, and and the. Um, you know, title, so title eight, title eighty eight commissions, title eighty eight commission, right? <laughs> and so basically, you have a whole, you know, have these title eighty eight dear colleague letters. Oh, man, man, I, you know, this is just such a classy podcast. I love coming on here because you guys are so classy, right? And so, you know, essentially, you have a whole crew of like former, like you know, um, um, you know, Patriot Front members. You know, they clean up the act, and they're now members. You know, that was they were, you know, they were kids, right? You know, I mean, and later they. Later, we all learned that the way to defeat radical right-wing terrorism is to support moderate radical right-wingers. <laughs> and, and so they, um, you know, they, they, uh, they grew their hair out. Uh, you know, they got wives and kids. They went back to law school. Um, they became Mormons. And uh, now they're ready to uh, enforce um, our, uh, you know, our new critical race theory. And so basically what we're going to do is we're going to have, we're going to create, have this, you know, you're going to ha- actually have the equivalent of human rights, you know, commissions. So if in your workplace, basically, if critical race theory is being taught or any of that, you can basically file a, a lawsuit in this, um, you know, court saying, hey, you know, there's critical race theory in my, in, in my workplace. Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is unacceptable. And it will be heard, you know, before these basically Mormon judges, right? Um, and, you know, um, um, uh, and, and, you know, these, these people who 20 years ago were, uh, 10 years ago, were all writers, like, pouring milk all over their faces or whatever right and you know like you, you just you have no choice right you know and 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 you know these guys you know they're gonna laugh at you and like make okay signs as they like you know find your life away right and um and and that's you know if, if you really wanted to to reverse reverse the you know uh the 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 battlefield which of course is ridiculous and impossible uh you know that's what you'd be doing but 
you're not what, actually what if you, doing anything what if, like that. Sorry, so what, if you, what, what if you become governor of a large state and you start taking these things like this and you say, ah, we're just going to take all this money that goes to these diversity trainings. We're going to divert it to um, fat Italian guys who walk around construction sites checking for so uh, I workplace think, I think safety. You'd very, I think you'd very, reali- very quickly may- be made to realize that you were viola- violating the law. Um, there would be a number of ways that uh, they would do that. Um, but, you know, the ability of... It's sort of interesting to question the ability of, you know, first of all, as as a governor, you know, you're as 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 a governor, like, are you just some guy who got elected governor and then went like crazy, like in a Hollywood movie, or do you have a, a whole state, you know? devoted to you and hanging on your every word and following you the way the Rajneeshis followed Rajneesh. Uh, and in America today, like, you know, like maybe even like Huey Long, right? You mentioned Huey Long earlier, you know, yes. you, you were going to go to Huey Long. And the thing is, even when you look at the age of Huey Long, which is not exactly the, you know, the late 18th century, even when you look at the age of Huey Long, um, the capacity of the American public for collective action has vastly declined between that and like, you know, the Civil War, for example, right? You know, and so the idea of Huey Long, basically, you know, when you compare Huey Long to like, you know, Jefferson Davis, uh, you sense, uh, you know, that the level of kind of sovereign ambition in the 1860s is, of course, much, much greater. And the level of sovereign ambition you see in Huey Long and the level of sort of political populist democratic energy that you have behind Huey Long, you don't see anymore. So I don't think Huey Long, for example, ever formed a militia. Of course, you know, militias were obviously a huge normal thing, like back in the 1860s. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, I always, I always like to shock people by pointing, pointing them to the Wikipedia page for Abraham Lincoln's paramilitary militia, the Wide Awakes. Um, and people read this and they're just like, holy God, how have I never heard of this? You know, like he has like, five, you know, like he has basically his own essay of like 500,000 uniformed paramilitaries. Um, no one talks about this. And, 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 and so when you're basically designing political solutions for a world where, you know, you have all these like armed men who are ready to kill and die for the collective uh, and you compare that to now where you have just this kind of a world of faggots who've never even been in a fist fight. I've never been in a fist fight. Have you been in a fist fight? Um, you know, yeah. like as an yeah. adult. Oh, okay. That's that's right. That's that's because you're rednecks. Okay, but you know the thing is, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you Irish, have that one yeah. up on me. Irish, Irish, same thing. I mean, you know, it's basically, uh, uh, you know, that's 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 where the bog comes from. I I uh, I, I suppose. Um, uh, yeah, Irish. the uh, Irish are, are yeah less than people. Let's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. It's just a sort of two-legged. I mean, they they have two legs and they don't and no feathers. But um, so in that sense, the, you know, definitely, definitely, people. Actually, the um, um, you know, I'm reminded by that of a uh, um, um, kind of an old work of critical race theory that I was reading, or you know, it's it dabbles in critical race theory, um, which was a travelogue of a British journalist who went through the United States in something, the 1780s, I think, not the sets, the, the 1880s. And he's traveling on, he's taking the railroad down from the north to the south. And basically, um, he's all the way, he's listening to this Yankee from Boston, like a, you know, a real Yankee Yankee, uh, complaining about the goddamn Irish. 
and the Irish are this, the Irish are that, they're shiftless, they're lazy, they're you know, yada, yada, yada. And you know, the guy across the seat is like, well, wait till you meet our African Americans. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, and, and, uh, you know, that of course is, uh, you know, presages the, the journalist is telling a story. Of course, this is a, this is a colonialist narrative, right? But, you know, of course this, you know, this, this joke is confirmed in the colonialist narrative that we, that we later read. Um, and which I'm not, of course, uh, I would not, I would not condone. Um, and, um, have you heard the, of Desmond it, Fennell? Desmond Fennell? No, I have not. Yeah. We, we had, a. Uh, um, uh, we, uh, sorry, we had, um, Angela Nagel, we had Angela Nagel on, and uh, she talked about, uh, there was a guy, I don't know I thought of it. You said he was a travel, well, this, this was some Irish travel writer, uh, uh-huh. long ago. And, and he wrote a lot of the similar ideas, uh, from, uh, from your work. Uh, it's kind of interesting that travel. Oh, guides, that is but- so interesting. How is it spelled? Yeah. I love to read old, like, especially old travel guides to my own country because it shows you how others perceived it rather than how it perceived itself. Uh, which is generally more interesting, especially when you're de- dealing with like extremely delusional people. Uh, and the same has always been true of America. Um, we've always been the world's most delusional country. Um, and that's like the most American thing of all. Uh, so, yeah, when was this guy writing and what, how do you spell his name? Dennis Finnell? Desmond. 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 E-L-L. Yeah. Fennell. Okay, yeah. Like the vegetable, but with another L. Yeah, he's just sort of uh, tooling around the United States. Uh, you know, he's like reviewing um, um, high-end restaurants and stuff. And in the meantime, he's oh, just laying so awesome. out this kind of proto NRX stuff. It's, uh, which uh, <laughs> I think you could only, yeah, you could only Absolute, do that. Absolutely, absolutely bitching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, okay. That's that's that. So you want right. to rule the United States, but. The power. Oh no 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 no! I have no intention of ruling the United States. I'm you know I'm 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 a I'm a member of the I'm like the you know I'm not Aragorn I'm Gandalf right you know I'm like the guy who you know I just have ideas man I mean my God I'm a terrible manager I mean I can't even like manage a company of twenty people properly so like what no definitely not sorry okay so one one might want to rule rule the United States with an iron fist. And oh, by the way, do you like uh, when people talk about Huey Long? They talk about it like, well, how did he think about X policy or not? I just look at it as like, I want to rule, and that's what I'm going. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna- no, it's not even. It's not even just I want to rule. Like I want to. Everybody wants to rule. What's What's really important is I have the right to rule. And and this is yeah. one of the things about if I can go back and and pick on on poor Rufo, you know, a little more. <laughs> I'm basically like when you say this shall not be taught, what you're saying is I shall not be ruled in this way. You know, what you're really saying is, like, you're causing me some irritation, some rectal irritation here, and I wish I, you would remove the source of rectal irritation. And one of my, you know, uh, metaphors is, is uh, you know, kind of, it's a strongly flavored metaphor. It's not really a family metaphor, but uh, is this a family podcast? This is no, not a family okay. podcast. You can let loose. Okay. Okay, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll let loose. So, you know, since this is not a family podcast, one of my favorite analogies is... Um, of a man in a deep coma who can only barely, he's, he's still alive. He's has sort of locked in syndrome. He's still thinking he can only barely perceive anything about the world or even his senses, but he's perfectly conscious. Right. And, you know, all of a sudden he begins to perceive this kind of this pain, this rubbing sort of tearing pain coming from down below. 
And you know, really, what's going on is he's in, he's so he's so deeply anesthetized, he's so deeply in a coma that you know what he doesn't realize is not just that you know he's like he thinks that there's something new that's going on. Actually, nothing new is going on, and basically, he's just constantly being anally raped. But this time, he's being anally raped with a special brutality. And so, his answer is not, will you stop ass-raping me in my narcotic sleep? You know, his answer was, will you stop ass-raping me this hard? in my narcotic sleep, <laughs> right? Um, and, and if you understand that, does that analogy make any sense? Does it resonate? Does it resonate? That's horrifying. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. This is one of the and, more and, disturbing thing about the male psyche is that uh, males can experience uh, full sexual uh, uh, yeah. release under, under a comatose situation. Just like pure That is very true. Trunk. That is that is true. That is true. And, and, and there is a, and males, many males experience a satisfaction. I'm obviously I'm not one of them from being penetrated. And so you know this this <laughs> sense of being you know you're asleep, you're sort of covered by warmth, um, and then you know there's this 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 um, this feeling of penetration. You know, which is in a way it's kind of satisfying, but also it. It can be painful, but, you know, you're being dominated. You don't have to worry about anything. You know, they bring you food, you know, they wipe your butt. Uh, you know, this is the state of the, you know, the American, the Americaner, uh, you know, as I sometimes say, who just wants the grill. And so when you tell these people, like, here is the solution to receive, you know, you sell them basically like hemorrhoid cream that will like receive, you know, <laughs> relieve some of the, some of the discomfort, uh, you know, from, from this, uh, you know, um, these intrusions, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, it's, you ever, it's really. Have you ever been to Chick Fil A? Uh, <laughs> actually, you know, it's strange that you would say that because I actually have not been to Chick Fil A. I like to eat the cows, and the more the cows give me this stuff about don't eat me, I'm like, yeah, I think I think I'll hit the in and out. So uh, if, and my children prefer the burger too. So yeah, sorry. Cows. If you go there, you'll see all these uh, uh, beautiful blonde-haired uh, uh, Kulak wives driving enormous yeah. eight-thousand-pound uh, Suburbans. They all God, have yeah, yeah. Q stickers on the back, and if you want to think about like <laughs> a, uh, uh, just getting uh, just getting anally violated, think about. I mean, but they're still they're still into it. Like you know, this guy's been out well, as I, as I, as I always say, you know, the um, I stole this from someone too, but uh, as I always say, the real the real, the real conspiracy theory is. Um, and Q is not that uh, we're ruled by uh, degenerate pedophiles, but that there's a secret conspiracy to stop it, right? Jeff Andrew, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean the the yeah, the, he, um, yeah. the amount of cope there is just like I mean it's interstellar cope. And so I'm like, you know, the thing that conservatives have to realize is that the main thing that's holding them back is cope. If they could just walk away from their cope, like they would be totally fine. And so when I look at you know the anti CRT campaign. I'm like, on a relative basis, I see what you see in it because basically it's much less copy than almost anything these people do. But it's still full of cope. Okay, so let's let's compare Rufo to like uh, I, I don't know much about the guy, but like you've heard of, have you ever heard of Corey DeAngelis? Like, no, I've uh, never he, heard of Corey DeAngelis. Let's say he's the Chris Rufo, but of uh, they call what they now call euphemistically school choice. Right? They're trying to get right. all these bills passed in states that essentially will take pu- public school money and give it to the cool lots, yeah. so they can give it to private schools. Uh, yeah. Now, 
I like I'm a that. little more favor. I'm a little more favorable to that, and I'll tell you why. I'm yes. a little more favorable to that because essentially, from a st- what we're really talking about here is kind of in a military sense the difference yes. between tactics and strategy, and. Essentially, a tactical measure is good if it makes your strategic problem easier. And it's bad if it makes your strategic problem harder. And so when you basically say, okay, we're going to create – use this to substantively create, you know – a new, you know, very large numbers of people who have not been brainwashed with this weird ass shit. Um, You know, you're like, yeah, that's a – that's a – that's a substantive – Victory, and yeah. it's the substantive victory that doesn't it doesn't bear fruit in the le- sort of lefty way of saying, oh, we've got these people on the run, we're going to move on to bigger victories. It's just a victory in and of itself, but it's a victory that sort of creates a real step upward toward weakening the system that is hard to reverse. You're taking yeah, you're their money. Your own, yeah, you're yeah. exactly. You're you're going into their you're taking camp their money, and their supplies. You're going into their this. camp and stealing their horses. And the thing yeah. is, basically, a really objective way to monitor these these uh, you know efforts is to basically say, okay, uh, what is the objective result of this thing we just did? Is the objective result to um, attrit their personnel? I'm not sure if attrit is really a verb, but they use it as a verb in the Pentagon. Um, it's like the verb of attrition. Is the, uh, is the goal to attrit, obviously it's a euphemism, uh, is the goal to attrit their personnel? Okay, how many personnel have you attrited? How many people has Chris Rufo gotten fired? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and okay, so you're not doing that. Then, you know, the goal is to um, um, basically employ our personnel. How many people has Chris Rufo gotten hired? Okay, down to that. Um, then you're like, okay, the goal is to go into their, their camp and steal their horses. Uh, how much money and stuff has Chris Rufo appropriated for our side? And that's where Corey and DeAngelis and Chris Rufo part company because, yeah, he actually went into their – like, those laws are real. Those laws have been passed. I mean, you know, I can homeschool because, you know, some dickwad went to the mat against the Nevada – Nevada. Oh my God. I said that on the air. I said Nevada on the air. Um, it's okay, we can cut it out. This is not. Uh, okay. We do Please. Lafayette, Lafayette down here. That's how you tell who's not yeah, from no, around no, the no. You, you understand? You don't understand. Anyone who's not from Nevada says Nevada. So it's like this infallible <laughs> shibboleth. <laughs> and, you know, well, so you know, if I can redeem myself for a moment, actually, <laughs> in the eyes of of of, of patriotic Nevadans, uh, you know, uh, what I'd like to say is, I think there's something that we've all, all, all of us Nevadans have seen, but. Um, you know, maybe haven't really thought deeply enough about is that um, if you stand in in Western Nevada and you, uh, you you look out, you see these mountains, and I'm always like, you know, I'll point to these mountains and I'll be like, what are these mountains called? And people would be like, well, they're the Sierras. I'm like, yes. What are they called? They're like the Sierra. I'm like, that's right. They're the Sierra Nevada. In fact, not only on the other side of the border. Is there a Sierra Nevada? There is a Nevada City. There is a Nevada County. And this is what we used to call, you know, um, um, back uh, Italians used to call, this is Nevada Irredenta. This is unredeemed Nevada. This is actually (laughs) occupied Nevada territory. It's Greater right? Nevada, yeah. Greater Nevada. Well, you know, I'm actually I'm a member of the Greater Nevada Credit Union. Uh, you know, I sort of choose to <laughs> choose 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 it to mean more than it does. Uh, you know, but the thing is, you know, when you when you start to imagine 
real Nevada pride, you start to imagine people looking at the state of affairs. And, you know, none of the, none of this territory is at all has anything in cult, culturally in common with, with, with California. I mean, and my God, right? You know, they, they, nobody wears, wears masks in that territory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is Nevada territory. And yet they're paying taxes to, okay. So, you know, like, like this is the kind of political change that I would love to see. Um, you know, then just, and like, who's going to resist the Nevada state police if they, if they go and take it, uh, you know, and <laughs> I'm joking, of course. And, and, you know, it's a joke, like my, my theory of how, you know, Chris Rufo has his, um, you know, uh, you know, new critical race theory, uh, you know, uh, human rights commissions to en- enforce the, uh, white rights or whatever it is. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure he wouldn't endorse the phrase white rights, but, um, no, he, he, yeah. <laughs> He's not a fan of, of, of talking about he's, white he's not, people. He's not a fan of such. So you know the thing is that that when you imagine one of the things that uh, sort of conclusions that I recently came to, and this is a conclusion that is going to offend some friends of mine, but um, <laughs> you know that's 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 my role. That's why that's why you know that's why I'm such a good grifter. Um, you know is uh, that's how that's how I build trust is by offending my friends. And, uh, you know, one of the things I would say is that sort of any kind of attempt at secession or exit or, you know, any of the things that you see coded like that is essentially a cope for even like colonizing Mars in some ways is a cope for I want a revolution, but I can't really think about how to say it. And, you know, what you see when you imagine... Painting or, a target on yourself too, by the way. You're painting a target on yourself, and you're imagining it's it's sort of it's very similar to my you're not hump, knocking Humpty Dumpty off the wall, uh, you know, critique of the anti CRT campaign, because you're saying what you're saying when you say let forget forget Greater Nevada, let's take a, a you know less less fantastic case of um, New Texas, and um, when you're saying I want Texas independence, what you're saying is. I have a theory of government which I believe gives me a right to rule Texas. It's all about, you know, to go back to something you said five minutes ago, it's all about the right to rule. Do I have the right to rule Texas? Do I have the right to rule Nevada? Um, And what gives me the right to rule anywhere or anything is the knowledge that I know how to do it and I know how to do it far better than it's currently being done. And anyone who feels that sense of right is like, yeah, I do have the right to rule. And what you're saying, the thing about whether it's the, you know, the anti-CRT campaign is is not saying, I have the right to decide how children are educated. Here is my formula for how children should be educated. We're going to do full Victorian immersion for, for everyone. They're going to wear little <laughs> Victorian uniforms, um, or we're going to do Persian immersion, and we're going to teach them, you know, the way Xenophon describes it. Uh, we're only going to teach them to uh, ride, uh, you know, shoot and tell the truth. Um, and <laughs> or whatever. Here's what we're going to do. But when you say, here's what you should not do, you're yeah. basically... You know, you're 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 saying I have no agency. Just please don't fuck me that hard. And and you know, I'm just like you know. First of all, even when you're like I'm Texas, when when you when you're talking about like you know Texas, and you're like Texas secession, you're basically like I am Texas, and you know you may not fuck me anymore. But you know, even that of like please, you know you may not fuck me anymore is very far from saying, actually, I have the right to rule you. Not only do I, Texas, know how Texas should be ruled, I also know how Massachusetts should be ruled. I know how San Francisco should be ruled. You know, sorry? I'll be the big spoon. I'll be the big spoon, right? You know, and and like, and and so, uh, yeah, like, you know, 
uh, roll over, Massachusetts. It's your turn. Uh, you know, and, um, 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 by, by the and, way, this guy in go- Florida, this guy in Florida said replace CRT with like, um, you know, three months talking about like the hollow demore and shit like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still, uh, it's again, it's positive, but it's still like you know, it's still very, very weak. And 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 the sort the of the weakest- bigger. The weakest Republicans are the ones who meditate on communism the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's it's passe, right? They don't they meditate on well, you know, early on anti communism made this fatal mistake of basically saying that it was not an ideological effort, it was um, a, a nationalist effort. And they identified communism with Moscow. And, you know, I've got news for any students of, of communism, it actually didn't come from <laughs> Moscow, it came from the West to Moscow. And so the real problem is not Moscow. The real problem is the American allies of Moscow. And furthermore, what happened is those American allies of Moscow basically all broke with Moscow in 1946. And so you're basically <laughs> and, and now they all claim to be anti-communists, just like you, except strangely, they're also anti-anti-communists. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, so you've basically gone down this grifty route of selling something where it's easier to sell this. It is easier to sell, you know, this like nationalist, like the Russians are, I mean, you know, fuck the Democrats are like, we're pitching this in like 2017, like the Russians are coming to suck your blood. Like, oh yeah, this is what people out there in the Midwest believe. They believe the Russians are coming to suck our blood. So let's, let's go with that one. Right. You know, it's like, it's so incredibly cynical. Yeah. It's so incredible. Yeah, like Hitler lives, right. It's so incredibly cynical and and sad. And, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, you can't fall for those tricks. And when you say to people instead, your pitch is like, you know, the pitch of any revolution has to be, uh, we can't, we're going to try to express what the next world will look like. In some ways, we can't really express this. But what we want you to do is to come to the voting booth and vote one time on one thing. And if you vote properly and and everyone agrees that you want this, everything about this world will change. I mean, when you see a regime change like the, you know, East Germany turning into the new Germany, right? Everyone's life changes. Everything like, you know, no one is like shot in the street or anything like that. It's completely velvet revolution. And nobody's even like, you know, like if you were a Stasi officer, the Federal Republic of Germany is paying your pension right now. In fact, <laughs> there are still Wehrmacht officers, I'm pretty sure, whose pension is still being paid, right? Well, and so, you know, that that sort of sense of continuity of staff, it's like the most important thing in any kind of real revolution that actually works, especially in the modern world with its just pathological aversion to bloodshed, is that um, – it's just like no one is bl- can be blamed for serving the old regime, right? You know, if you worked at the, you know, if you were uh, the American equivalent of a Stasi officer, let's say you worked the, at, at the SPLC, what's going to happen to the staff of the L- SPLC, right? The, well, the, they're going to be I'm the prime minister have- of Germany. Uh, well, you know, yeah, if they go, if, if they do it like that, but you know, no, we're, we're talking, we're talking about my kind of revolution, you know, and in my kind of revolution, what happens to you if you were used to work for the SPLC? Well, you know, um, certainly you, you're a public figure; it can't be not known that you work for the SPLC, so that's going to limit a lot of your your possibilities. Uh, hopefully, the SPLC has a defined benefit uh, pension. 
Um, it's certainly going to be deemed as a government agency. It clearly is a government agency. And so as a government agency, it's basically going to be retired in a uh, uh, you know, uh, an effective and, and really generous way. So you, you definitely, you know, if you're retiring people in a way that they don't expect and couldn't have expected and you're not trying to punish them, um, not only do you want to pay them their accrued retirement benefits, you want to bonus that. You want to pay them even more. You want to put all of your enemies in a position where they can't actually help but be a little kind of happy that this thing is over because most of them probably hate their jobs anyway, right? So you're basically saying, I'm going to take your accrued retirement benefits, or if you're a quasi-government agency like this, we're going to say, okay, how long have you worked here? How long would you have been, what would you have accrued if you were a government employee? And we're going to give you that in a lump sum. We're going to, actually 20s. We're going to have a guy show up at your house with a briefcase, uh, with uh, full of 20s. He's going to take a picture of you standing next to this briefcase. Of course, you're free to refuse this money. If you if you believe there will be a next regime in which your 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 kind will return to power, you probably should refuse this money because we're gonna take a picture of you standing next to this briefcase full of twenties, um, and then we're gonna leave, and you're gonna have the briefcase. And by the way, if you want an extra bonus, what you're gonna have to do is write really a full and frank confession yep. <laughs> of your time in the office. So you're gonna have to basically um, just confess your sins, and trust me, we know what your sins were. Um, and if that's adequate, uh, you know we're talking 120%, 150%. You know, this is good money. So, you know, you might want to consider, you know, given the fact that you, the reason, the only reason you had this job is that you're a fucking power whore. Um, and now who's in power has changed. So why not? Um, why Cash not be out, flexible? Yeah. Why not be flexible? And, 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 and <clears throat> so that's a very, that's a, that's a way of doing regime change where you're basically, you acknowledge that America's ruling aristocracy is its aristocracy. It's the smartest and best people, you know, in the country. These are not people who have had fist fights. These are people who know what fork to use. You probably, do you go from the inside out on the forks or the outside in? Your rednecks probably don't even know. Um, and, and, and these guys do. And so, you know, yeah. the thing is, you know, to just execute these people like the way, like, you know, Stalin executed the Polish nobility is completely wrong. Um, you know, they need to learn to serve the new regime. And in order to do that, it's essentially like, you know, the thing about regime change is it's like lions, like, you know about lions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the whole structure of lion, you have the male lion, you know, and the female lions, and they love him, and they bear his children. Um, you know, but one day, the old lion, he gets a little old, he's a little slow, you know, and, you know, an asshole or two just kind of wandering around through the bush uh, who got kicked out by their moms. They're a little small, they're a little young, but they're like, yeah, I could take this old motherfucker. And they take him, and they kill him. And what do they do next? They kill they all kill, of his cubs, yeah. They kill all of his cubs. And how do the women react to this? How do the ladies of the pride react? They mate with him immediately. They mate with him immediately. They, they you know, by the, by the murder of their children and the appearance of this new Chad lion, they become desperately horny. And, and you know, the, the agony of seeing their cubs killed is just, is, is like, becomes this exquisite erotic attraction. Uh, you know, I can only compare it to women with serial killers, but like even worse, right? And 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 this is what Coco um, Chanel did the same thing. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 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 so you know this is this is a mode of female sexuality that we see only fortunately only the faintest <laughs> echoes of in the human female. Uh, you know, but we can understand it. You know, these the lion is is kin to us. You know, and and. And and so this is what when you have a true regime change, this is what happens. And one of the things that really shocked you know the Americans when they uh, just totally fucking obliterated, just killing as many civilians as they could, just walk the fuck all over Nazi Germany and uh, in in Shinto Japan. And, you know, they conquer these empires and they're totally prepared. And, and they know, of course, that these are some of the most propagandized fanatical people in history. You know, they make like like the, you know, the, the Hitler youth in 1945, uh, you know, the, the going out to like fight the, you know, the, the Soviet tanks with bazookas or whatever at the age of 15. You know, the fanaticism of these kids is like, take like the fanaticism of like just the like transgender mob in your like average high school and like multiply it by like 1.5 right i mean that's how fanatical <laughs> these little nazis were right and and it's crazy right and and so you know the general assumption of uh, sorry to inflict that on you uh, um um the general assumption of the um um the occupying authorities is, you know, being basically people who had been in fistfights from the old world, having more than a touch of the little Nazi about them themselves, quite frankly. They were just like, we need to just like suppress these motherfuckers with the sword. You know, you look at the occupation, you know, doc, you know, like official orders, just like we've got to limit them to 800 calories a day. We cannot fraternize with these disgusting animals. Uh, you know, uh, Whereas MacArthur in Japan is kind of an old Asia hand, and he doesn't do any of this like we're going to mistreat the Japanese. And so what's interesting is that both sides get the same result. So, you know, the Germans are like very badly mistreated in 45 and 46, Mm -hmm. and they become as docile as lambs. There's no terrorist activity. There's no werewolf IEDs like, you know, blowing up American Jeeps. Uh, no, they, um, you know, they, they cringe and they curtsy and they become the Germans we love and know and love now. Um, you know, they're not even anatomically correct, I think. There's just like a layer of skin there. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, you know, this works perfectly. And it also works perfectly in Japan where, um, you know, MacArthur is basically like, we're going to let you keep your emperor. We're going to let many things still be J- Japanese about Japan. Uh, you know, there are a lot of old buildings still there, you know, and, um, you know, they're very Japanese in many ways. And still, even after 1945, and again, without any, like, any, like, draconian coercion, these fanaticized Japanese people, you know, uh, who, again, you know, like, uh, I mean, Twitter doesn't really have anything on them, right? You know, and and these (laughs) fanatical, you know, Tumblr doesn't even have anything on them, right? You know, and these, these fanatical, you know, motherfuckers, like, again, you conquer them. And they're just like, you know, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, Misaki Diki, you know, and <laughs> it's just like, you're, people are just like, what? Because that doesn't fit their theory of kind of how domination works. They're basically like, you know, and and the reality is that the reason why, uh, you know, as, as I like to say, kind of World War II is really the ultimate colonialism. And and the, it was like super colonialism. It's like we're such yeah. colonialists that we're going to colonize fuck 
in Germany, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, forget, forget the Philippines, forget Cuba. No, we're going to colonize Germany, right? Yeah, you and, call it the last and, revolt and they of did the this, and it worked. Right? And and it was Still amazing. It worked day. better than it, to this day. It worked better than colonizing the Philippines, right? You know, these people are just like completely these like bastardized Americans who speak this strange dialect of American. You know, sometimes until they go to college, uh, and and they think that they're Germans. They have nothing in common with Germans. You familiar um, with the except Munich they're massacre? German. To, the Munich massacre, the uh, the the uh, the Olympic massacre, right? So that's happening, and you know when that's happening, they they were like, well, you know, someone needs to bring a high power rifle, and we can deal with this. They're like, there isn't one in this whole fucking country. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> they're like the Treaty of Versailles prohibits from us from having high powered rifles. Yeah, they didn't have one in the whole goddamn country. Yeah, and after that, they learned to, like, get a little Nazi, and now they have, of course, you know, they have these special forces units, and, you know, because a modern country has to have these, and they have a huge problem with these units because they kept, they keep yeah. going Nazi, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, apparently the eternal German is still with us, but, you know, the point that it proves... <laughs> The point that it really, that, you know, that this experience really proves is the very important point that um, force and violence are not synonyms, but they're opposites. So basically, sort of the more strongly you act, the less violence and conflict you can expect. And so if you act very weakly, you know, there's this great line um, from, uh, that was from World War II, actually, that was from a French officer, a Vichy French officer in North Africa. And the diplomatic position of these Vichy French motherfuckers was very strange and interesting. And they wore these funny hats, you know, the funny hats, mm-hmm. uh, the capis. And, and, um, and they were, you know, sort of half in the modern world and half in, like, you know, the, the world of Beaujest and the Legion of Honor, like, repelling camel charges by dervishes, right? And so, um, you know, America is like, okay, well, the way into the soft underbelly of Europe is to just invade North Africa. You know, we can just invade places because we're America, whereas when Hitler does it, he's trying to take over the world which is definitely not what we were trying to do right <laughs> we're trying to free the, the world um and um and so we're like okay we're going to invade north africa which is just utterly whack uh and what's your relationship with the french soldiers you know all of whom basically fought on our side in world war one uh in north africa to us and so they go to this french general right and they're like what will you do what will you do if we land and he's like well that really depends on what you land with. Because if you land with a company, I'll slaughter you. Uh, if you land with a brigade, I'll fight you. Uh, if you land with division, I'll surrender to you. And if you land with an army, I'll join you. Right? <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly the attitude of these people who swallowed anything their conscience had to offer and basically joined the satanic regime. Um, you know, they basically joined it because it's what's in power. And yeah, obviously, if you look at this stuff, yeah, on this critical race theory or whatever, you know, it's like a, the way a lot of German nationalists who supported and like aristocratic German nationalists who supported the Nazis in the mid to late 30s are like, there's some like, well, yeah, this like peasant shit about the Jews is like, yeah, I mean, come on, it's embarrassing. It's definitely embarrassing. But like, you know, this isn't really going to happen. We don't really believe this stuff. You know, it's like something Hitler is saying just to get votes, you know, and and so, you know, they sort of, um, 
they excuse this, uh, you know, genuinely, uh, you know, cancerous, uh, you know, anti-Semitism uh, in the, in their midst. Uh, you know, as I'm sure uh, everyone in this po- listening to this podcast, of course, like me, deplores uh, anti-Semitism and um, deeply. And and um, <laughs> so, uh, what was that, sir? Uh, um, um, I'm going to have to ask you to cool it with the uh, anti-Semitic like, remarks. But um, this is too many yeah. levels of irony for me to follow. Yeah, <laughs> what is that? It's irony. I don't believe in this well, gay thing. There weren't irony. like Jewish uh, philosophers but, and stuff with the, the whole Nazi. You got to imagine, sure, with those guys. Uh, many they, many Jews supported the Third Reich. I mean, um, you know, they turned out to be mistaken, but. Um, um, the uh, yeah, it was uh, you know. Let's just say it was a complicated situation. Uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of things going on. Um, you know, but um, yeah. when you get back to the modern world, what that tells you is it's the same principle as the principle of the French general. It's actually you think that the more strongly you come, the more strongly you will be opposed. Actually, the more weakly you come the more strongly you will be opposed. Whereas if you come strongly enough and Humpty Dumpty starts to fall off the wall, Humpty Dumpty is just going to be screaming all the way down, and it is a long way down. To be Um, fair, the Germans also thought this twice in the 20th century, and it it didn't work out for them either time. That's an interesting conversation. You know, the the thing is, I mean, this is a... Uh, this is obviously a mainstream, you know, podcast. So, uh, you know, I don't know how how far we want to go here, but um, you know, the thing is that when you look at, uh, all right, all right I'll, I'll just say it. When when you look at the things that um, Hitler and the Nazis, well, Hitler being dead, of course. If you look at the the main two main charges against the Nazis in Nuremberg. Uh, they were the charge that the Nazis committed uh, insane human rights abuses, and they were the charge that the Nazis were uh, engaged engaged in a conspiracy to take over the world. For some reason, everyone who sort of smells something off about this war basically decides that they're going to debunk the first thing and leave the second one well maybe they'll debunk the second one as well the problem is the first thing is completely true like you know the holocaust is one of the best uh understood you know like you know our knowledge about it is just insane compared to any other anything else that happened in history uh you know and you know yet the whole idea of the nazi plot to take over the world is completely spurious and, yeah. and, 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 and all mainstream historians know it's completely spurious. Like, you know, all ma- mainstream historians know that Hitler's dream was an alliance with England. Uh, yeah. That was his dream, you know, in the West. His dream in the East was to push the Russian barbarians back behind the Urals and, you know, enslave the Slavs. Uh, I mean, their name means Slav, let's face it. Um, and, and, you know, do all that other shit. He sets all of this out in Mein Kampf. Um, and the thing is, his actions during the war reflect, you know, the obvious, you know, conclusion that he actually believes everything he's saying. And because he believes everything he's saying, he lets the English go in Dunkirk. Yeah, he doesn't that, that, actually, you know, you know, he's trying to, like, establish a boundary with the Soviet Union rather than, than trying to smash them. He never makes an alliance with Japan so that Japan attacks the Soviet Union at the same time as he does, right? He doesn't even really try to get that done. And so why is he doing that? He's doing that because he has a, his vision of the end game. Is like, it's like the Texit thing. It's like, you know, Deutschsit. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, basically, we're not going to be part of the international community, which is already kind of a thing. Instead of being part of the international community, we'll be like one pole in a multipolar or Westphalian yes. order. 
which is yeah, like not it, a it, thing. It, right? He wants to and, come and, to terms. He was both in World War One and World War Two. Germany wants to come to terms with the with the British Empire, with the West, right? And, and so, and, 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 and Britain decided that like they would rather quite literally lose the entire empire and destroy their country twice. Than to, right. than to accept that. So, I mean, that, no. that's, that's yeah, and, the and Hitler, story And Hitler Wars. just couldn't – Hitler told them many times that that was the choice they were making and just yeah. couldn't understand why they would make that choice. And, you know, that failure of understanding is what caused them the war. You guys are, are Southerners, so, you know, the same thing happens in the Civil War. Basically, the South is like, you know, we are going to show the North, which is this nation of, you know, dirt-grubbing farmers that we, you know, the – natural aristocrats of of the world um, despite our lack of utter lack of any kind of industry or anything and our insane decision to embargo our only major export in order to convince the English to support us same exact kind of mistake right and it totally fails and backfires they should have been selling all the cotton they could to basically buy fucking guns Uh, they don't do that and then in the first battle of the war which arguably should have been the last battle of the war the battle of run basically the yankees tried to invade the confederates you know heroically throw them back across the river and then are like you know um see we taught those yankees a lesson now let's make peace and they'll admit that we're a separate country and of course you've made this argument before that is never going to fucking happen that is never going to fucking happen well militarily you basically and you you read the the sources right like i was just reading like alexander porter or whoever and basically they're like if you just keep marching to washington you take washington and there's just nothing in front of you that's like, not true though. there was there was a there was another division that was in between that could have been brought there and, and two like I, i've heard this argument before i don't like it because it kind of makes the assumption that well the confederate army in 1861 that has just like everybody um, pretty much every, all the soldiers are fighting their first war let's the officers have more experience you have sure. this disorganized mess after they just won a battle they're gonna have to cut a, go across the potomac invade washington dc there are still units that would be available for the defense of DC. I I don't think they. I don't think that was a bad decision. I think that actually, probably if they if they had tried to cross the Potomac, it would have been a disaster. And at which point, that, where that, are you going to go? That could be. It, that could be. But sorry, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm from Virginia. I, I'm autistic about yeah, this. Yeah, sorry. yeah. If you're, I, you know, I yield. I yield. I yield to your autism on this subject. Uh, you know, and and uh, um, because I'm not aware of the of the damn Yankee distribution of forces, uh, you know, around the Battle of Bull Run. But, uh, the order um, of battle. <laughs> but, but the order of battle, right, right, right. I haven't studied the order of battle. Um, you know, but the point is that, you know, that wasn't, I believe, the reason that that decision was made. They def- that mindset of, you know, we're defending ourselves and we're going to throw yeah. back these invaders is very different from the mindset of we're going to take Boston. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like like and of course, the stereotype, uh, you know, the conspiracy theory of the South that is held widely in the North at this time is called the slave power conspiracy. There's a great book, by, I believe, David Davis on the subject. And the slave power conspiracy literally is like, wow, look at this like conspiratorial Dred Scott thing. They're going to impose slavery on the whole nation. <laughs> and they weren't. But and by the way, most anti-slavery people in the North at the time weren't thinking they're going to impose slavery on the whole nation. This is going to oppress 
oppress black people even more. Oh no, they were thinking well, they're going to impose slavery on the whole nation, and that's going to basically allow slave lords to bring Negroes into our neighborhoods. And those Negroes are going to systematically undercut us by working for less than free white labor. That's what most people who supported, basically, who were anti-slavery men believed. Uh, they were actually anti against slavery because they were racist. Yeah, they wanted to send them back um, to Africa. Yeah, they wanted to send them back yeah, to Africa, cool. literally. I mean, this is yeah. Abraham Lincoln and the American Colonization Society. This is also why, uh, you know, the state of Oregon uh, in its constitution, I think they may have amended this. They certainly do, haven't, I think, enforced it for a while. Um, you I don't know. know. Actually have you, have you seen the, African the demographics? Yeah, yeah, the demographics. Yeah, it's pretty strong, right? Uh, you know, and so um, I mean, you know, but there, I mean, there are so many places that have the demographic demographics of a Klan rally. I mean, have you, you know, Burning Man, for example? Uh, I think actually Burning Man is considerably whiter than the Klan at this point. If there is I've never, such I've a thing never as a Klan. stopped by Burning Man, I wouldn't know. Uh, if you look at pictures, if you look at, look at pictures, it's definitely like, yeah. Yep, yep, this is definitely apartheid era, South Africa, you know, and, and um, oh, there might be like a colored person, a uh, person of color somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, you know, speaking, actually, actually, I wanted to digress into, into a subject, which is, um, I said person of color, and I thought of, uh, of BIPOCs, and, uh, you know, here is the question, and I wish like one of these like rationalist prediction sites would take this up. Um, because I'd love to see the answer to this. You know those like Mentaculous or Metaculous? I always confuse it with like the like crazy guy from the, the Coen Brothers, a serious man film. Uh, I think it's Metaculous and the, the Coen Brothers thing is Mentaculous. But, um, you know, my question is within a few years by, say, 2025 or so, will the word BIPOC have become a racial slur? Hmm. This is a very definitive question in critical race theory, right? You know, and, and the test of a theory is, is can it predict the future, right? So, you know, how do people, how will people be using, you know, that word in the future? Will they be saying, you know, I don't want to live in this neighborhood because there's too many BIPOCs around? <laughs> For example, <laughs> uh, you know, so. This is one of those ways that, that you're ahead of the game by being a West Coast guy. The West Coast uh, is is always a few years ahead of everyone right. else in this stuff. Right, right. No, it's very true. It's very true. But um, um, all right, yeah. Before the before the BIPOCs, where were we? Um, we were on. You know, you don't, you don't oh, win yeah, the we, war unless you have plans to march to Quebec, or if you're Nazi Germany, you're in between two guys, two people that are playing for keeps. You need to, to plan big. Uh, big, big, uh, big plan wins over a little plan. Right. The big plan wins over the little plan. And, and to win with the big plan, you basically have to have, you know, you know, are there situations where you could make Texit work? Maybe, probably not. Like, you know, uh, I mean, imagine Texit, like, all they have to do is not deal, like, the Fed can cut off the Texas banks, right? Yeah. You know, this, you is, this is like a treasury with- bill against, like, a crypto. The crypto can, can triple overnight. You know what I mean? The, the, if you're promising to go all the way, then the, the potential gains are, are unlimited. Yeah, the all, exactly. And so actually, it's the promise of going all the way that actually creates a lot more energy in a somewhat more subtle sense, but in a kind of more sustainable sense than the energy of, oh my God, they're teaching our kids to be transgender and castrate themselves. I mean, that, that does create a lot of anger, but the thing is that that anger sort of, you know, it wears off into learned helplessness and you just learn that, you know, it's like getting old. You learn that certain parts of your body are just permanently sore. And in this case, you're 
actually old and comatose and you're like, wow, yeah, my butt hurts all the time. Right. You know, and, um, um, and, 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 and you just grow to accept these things. Whereas if you're offered the prospect of actually like, you know, there's this, this great, um, it's sort of the ultimate in populism. I probably, I may even have talked about it last time I was on your show, which is this, um, great Slobodan Milosevic line where he goes to Kosovo where, you know, this historically white province where the African American, I mean, Serbian, where the Albanians have come to vastly outnumber the Serbs uh, due to their increased progenitiveness uh, or something like that. Um, and, um, and, he's, and the Serbs, of course, are, have been mistreated by the communist government, but they're still kind of the hereditary, you know, ruling class because, um, you know, they have uh, average IQs of 95, which is like they have 15 points on an Albanian, right? So Milosevic <laughs> comes to them, and um, Milosevic comes to them, and and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I'm going to be canceled for anti-Albanian, uh, you know, comments. Uh, you know, and um, the uh, problem. Memory the, TV meme in this memory TV meme, right? <laughs> You're like, if God, God help me, if I say it, an Albanian. Uh, you know, I mean, and and uh, you know, um, um, so Milosevic comes down there as this whole thing is falling apart, and he goes to talk to the other uh, Serbs, and you know, he has this great line where he's like. No one will dare to beat you anymore. And, you know, the excitement of basically, you're not like, oh, you know, we're going to stop the teaching of anti-Serbian rhetoric, you know, in the Kosovo schools. Or like, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm complaining that when I go to school, you know, the, my, te- my child's textbooks are teaching me that, you know, uh, Albanians are, are dogs and worms. And, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, sucked the dick of the devil, you know. The tr- and the Trump you're order, like, I have to. Re- the Trump yeah. order literally said made kids feel bad. Yeah, and it's like my kids are being, being being made to feel bad. Can you stop my kids from being made to feel bad by having maybe a little more pro-Serbian rhetoric? You might acknowledge, for example, that maybe, you know, some Serbs are certainly the sons of dogs, but not all Serbs, right? You know, some are descended from a sort of primitive human. Um, and, Hitler, and, you know, Hitler said the Swiss were, they were Germans, but retarded Germans. Yeah, well, that's what they sound like. Um, but um, the um, sorry for any Swiss listeners, that was just just too easy. Really, I mean, you really you actually do sound retarded. But you know the um, great school. But you know that it's all it's all right. Uh, um, but have you heard Swiss German? Oh, my God. No, I'm going to be so canceled for this. But uh, in any case, um, the uh, yeah, you 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 have to have if you're going to say you want to change in this regime it's actually much easier to change the whole thing than to try to change these little parts and if you want to change the whole thing you have to be wearing your big boy pants and you have to live up to the responsibility of that and you know like in part i'm not saying hitler is a nice guy i'm saying the reason he doesn't conquer england and russia is that he doesn't really even know what he would do with them Right. It's sort of it's a failure of vision. It's a failure of imagination. The reason, you know, Hitler takes possession of all these Jews with just these amazing talents. All he can think of to do is to gas them. You know, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's retarded. Uh, and and, you know, and so when you, you know, in some ways, like the Hitlers and the Stalins of the mid-century are sort of like as compared to the new emperors that we need, it's like comparing Marius and Sylla to Caesar and Augustus, where, you know, they sort of didn't really know what they were doing. They thought they were coming to restore sort of an imagined order that had vanished. 
And as a result, they took a lot of half measures. And as a result of taking a lot of half measures, their half measures were extremely violent. And, um, uh, you know, they were just like in a sinking ship. They're plugging holes in the shinking ship and they're plugging them with the heads of their enemies. Uh, that's a slightly mixed <laughs> metaphor, but you get the picture, right? And, um, and, and so, and that's sort of what everyone expected, you know, that became the stereotype of the guy who wants to be dictator for life. And, you know, Caesar and Augustus come along and they just shatter the stereotype, not by thinking smaller than Marius and Sulla, but by thinking bigger. And so they're basically like, you know, there's this great anecdote that I always retell that it should be, you know, just memorized by anyone who is a student of regime change uh, or is interested in regime change, which is the only solution to any of our problems, Um, which is uh, Caesar, who's just this amazing guy. And, you know, he wins his last battle against the, you know, the forces of the dying republic. It's in North Africa at uh, Utica, I think, which is also Mm -hmm. a town in New York. And he beats the forces of Cato. And, you know, Cato is like everybody respects Cato. Everybody knows like Cato is completely sincere. Like a lot of these like Republican fucks are completely just degenerate, unprincipled, you know, aristocrats. Everyone knows Cato is for real. And to convince, you know, if, if everyone didn't know Cato was for real, they know Cato was for real by the way he dies. Because the way Cato dies is like full Japanese. Like he, he's literally like, you know, has a slave, like, you know, give him a sword and like slits his own belly with a sword. Incredibly painful shit, super Roman, super samurai, um, you know, epic stuff, right? But Caesar wins the battle. And when he wins the battle, he captures Cato's tent. And in Cato's tent, there's a big chest full of letters from all of Cato's friends back in Rome. Now, the thing is, the way these, you know, sort of the accepted rules of these civil wars, uh, you know, from the, like, ages of Marius and Sylla, involved uh, what was called proscription. And proscription, yep. which is something, mm, yeah. yeah, something everybody should understand, because we may see some versions of it in, in the future, um, was actually, it was a very violent affair. You basically said, okay, I'm going to take all the supporters of my enemies and I'm going to um, take their money and I'm going to kill them and I'm going to give their money to my friends. And it's sort of a very practical thing to do. So you imagine like Trump taking office and he orders like George <laughs> Soros executed and he like, then he like distributes, uh, you know, Soros's fortune to like, you know, Ivanka's friends. Right. And, and, and that would be, that would be a very Roman thing to do. And so Caesar when got out of town C- because this, about this, uh, for, Caesar had to get out him. of town because he was too close to Marius. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was really like, he was very close to being, being on this list. Um, and so there were, I mean, he wasn't rich at the time, but there were a number of goals of prescription. And one of them is duh, wars by killing your enemies. Right. So, uh, you know, when Caesar's guys basically see this chest full of letters, uh, they get a huge heart on because, of course, one thing that you do in this situation is you'd pretend to be friends of both sides. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see yeah. a chest full of letters and you're like, OK, wow, I guess the, you know, this is when we get to find out who really wanted to bet on us. Uh, right. And um, they're like, oh, man, this is this is so cool. Right. You know, um, they're just like cackling with glee. And they're like, OK, um, you know, Caesar, uh, you know, um, you know, what do we do with this? Uh, you know, do we start going through it A to Z or Z to A? You know, and Caesar's like, OK, here's what you're going to do with the chest. You're going to put it on a bunch of logs. You're going to pour a whole ton, to, a ton of extra virgin olive oil all over it, and you're going to set it on fire. And Caesar's guys are like, "What? Like, uh, uh, what? 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 What is this? He's smoking some kind of North African opium here?" And and Caesar's like, "Guys, you don't get it. We just won here. We won everything." 
uh, we have no enemies. We're not, these people aren't our enemies. We own them. They're ours now. And, and that, you know, that approach where you're basically saying, you know, as a Confederate in 1861, you would have said, well, I don't have any idea how Massachusetts should be governed. You know, they should, you know, uh, if they don't want slavery or they hate black people or whatever, you know, uh, fine. You know, they can be they can be racists. They can be abolitionists. Uh, we don't, you know, why would we want to impose slavery on Massachusetts, right? Um, and this is maybe, where the you desire know, for vengeance becomes a, a great uh, tax <laughs> on your power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you're just you're thinking in the wrong way. Whereas if you're thinking, you know, basically Massachusetts is this like hive of just insane ideologies that are, you know, free love, polygamy. Oh, that's more a Mormon thing. But like all this just crazy weird shit is coming out of Massachusetts. It's cancer. You know, this cancer is going to infect poor Massachusetts itself. Um, you know, they're basically like, you know, um, uh, and and we have to help them. Actually, the authorities of Massachusetts do not have a right to rule Massachusetts. We do. We will take these Brahmins and turn them into proper aristocrats. We will learn, teach them to ride. We will teach them to shoot. And we may even be able to teach them to tell the truth. And, uh, and, and we're going to take charge of these benighted people and, and you know, govern them as they deserve to be governed. Because we, we, you know, we're serving God here, like all regimes, and, you know, God wants, God, God does not, not, you know, want these people to suffer under their own shit liberty. And, you know, if you basically take that attitude toward having a right to rule, and you say, it's not just that we have a right to rule ourselves, we also have a right to rule our enemies, and we will rule them better than they rule themselves. Mm. Um, you know, then, you know, you know, it's just like Kienis Mas Macho, right? You know, it's like you're... You're actually you're playing for the stakes, same stakes that they're playing for, because they certainly believe they have a right to rule you, um, and it's a completely different mindset. And it's a mindset where, when your mindset is not "I'm going to rule them, but I'm going to punish them, or I'm going to hurt them, or I'm going to do," that's actually a much more violent mindset. Whereas when you're like, "My God, you know," even if you, you know, you're, let's say you're Hitler, you believe in the, you know, international Jewish conspiracy. Even if you'd been like, "We're going to free England from the Jews," right? You know, you would have had better results from that theory than from the theory you actually operated on, right? You know, and we're going to free Russia from the Jews. Fine, whatever, right? You know, like, irrespective. Of the truth of the international Jewish conspiracy, that conspiracy theory would have worked much better than the one you were actually operating on. If he held, um, it, if he held it to himself long enough to uh, uh, get a nuke and uh, strap it on one of bronze uh, rockets, uh, he might could have uh, scared London. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he would have just, you know, like uh, that was one thing about, you know, one of the things that the many we learned so many lessons about psychological warfare from from this war that, that's true including yeah. the one that i just mentioned of like you know forces everything and you know if you have force you don't need violence um you know the other thing that was learned is all of this like strategic bombing came from the theories of this italian i believe italian fascist general duhet before julio duhet before the war who's like basically looks at the growing air power and it's just been like we won't even really have wars anymore even you know mm -hmm. countries will just intimidate each other with city bombing because city bombing will work so incredibly well 
with like the latest developments and you know people are like you know projecting what airplanes can do the way people project you know what ai can do now and they're just like you'll just be able to just wipe out whole cities and like storms of fire which turned out to be true however it also turned out to be a completely ineffective military mechanism because basically the more you abused a civilian population the more some like winston churchill guy would come out and be like you know i have only blood sweat and tears to you know to give you and like you know on both sides, now the Germans got bombed, bombed a lot harder, you know, than the English. On both sides, strategic bombing, which was intended as basically a means of economic warfare, of economic and political warfare, that would defeat the enemy by basically making them, you know, as sort of rational democratic voters or whatever, um, you know, sort of uh, agitate for peace because, you know, it was all like, it was like, you know, sort of Vietnam era thinking almost. It was like proto-game theory. It's like, oh, we're going to like bomb the them until they realize that they would rather you know lose the war than than be bombed. Yeah, right? they'll, they'll, vote out, they'll vote out the fewer after it. You know, they'll, they'll vote out the fewer, or they'll vote on <laughs> Churchill, right? And and that was absolutely the thinking. You know, vote out Churchill was maybe a little more realistic than vote out the fewer. But yeah, absolutely, they were basically bombing. <laughs> they were killing like you know. Uh, somewhere around a million civilians, uh, you know, in, in all theaters of the war, were basically being killed for this theory, which was just totally fucking wrong. Uh, you know, we haven't really had that many people killed for a theory, uh, you know, until, uh, you know, gain-of-function research. And, these, and the, cities, the, uh, these cities have incredible they, resilience. Uh, you might see uh, San the cities. The cities burned. The cities burned. The cities burned, and the people were killed, and they just got more fanatical. They were like, wow, the Jews are burning us from the sky. We must resist. And do we have any Jews we can burn? You know, and San Francisco uh, just reelected uh, Chester Bowden, right? There's, there's, oh, really? Did the, yeah, did the did, recall fail? Oh, did I, the, uh, well, no, I'm, 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 I'm joking here. I'm just saying the, there's, there's yeah. an appetite for destruction here. No, they'll promote him to mayor, right? You know, yeah. like there, there's, there's, uh, and there's absolutely like, you know, when you're dealing with human psychology, you know, when you make people sacrifice for the collective by being bombed or being like, you know, stabbed and raped in San Francisco, they're basically like, I was, you know, they go home and they were like, I was raped today, but at least I was raped for a good cause. And, you know, my experience <laughs> of being raped has helped me understand, understand in a much more principled way what the underprivileged go through every day. He's got I'm, a big vision. You know, vision. I really, I, I really feel close to them. You know, and and the um um, and 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 that's like you know that's human psychology. Actually, the more you abuse people, the more their dog-like loyalty comes out. Right? It's completely yeah. contrary to the Whig theory of history. You know, actually, people rebel because the government treats them too well and sucks up to them too much and and so you know and this 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 is the lesson that you see consistently and so essentially when you feel as american conservatives well they haven't sort of worked hard enough to in some ways to feel but um if they don't actually have the right to rule, they need to very speedily develop it. And once they develop it, they need to feel it. And once they feel it, you know, it's simply a matter of asking a regime that doesn't believe it's, doesn't believe in itself at all anyway to, to surrender. And there's a half a chance that if this regime had anyone to surrender to, they would just surrender. Um, you know, because their level of self-confidence really in many ways is not great. And the level of this just deranged race rhetoric is like, it's really hard to believe. Okay, it's newly fashionable among a certain crowd. It's going to be hard for that weird shit to stay fashionable, like really hard. 
like you you bring Max Kendi in 2028 like how do you like how do you keep that going you know and and um and so you're going to have a situation or you already have a situation where like the only reason people are fanatical about supporting the regime today is that they fear and loathe their enemies they like everything is about fear and loathing of Trump and his peasant army and the greater the more you can decrease that stimulus the better because as you decrease that stimulus you're actually sapping the emotional energy of the regime i mean already just by having trump lose the election i mean uh, just incredible drops in msnbc numbers have been have you know like you're just like if you if you said okay uh, dear right wing america here's this measure that is going to like drop the like revenues of the main enemy you know newscast by like 65 percent and do you want to do you want to use that weapon and that weapon is basically losing the presidential election um, and so you're basically seeing the opposite of the Trump bump. You're seeing the Trump slump. And, you know, basically all of these, like, you know, every journalist knows this. And every journalist in the world, when Trump, you know, um, lost the election, uh, every journalist in the, in the world, you know, was like, fuck. You know, I really wanted this to happen. As a principled person, I'm really glad the Trump Reich is over. On the other hand... Fuck. And <laughs> because they just know that, like, the cli- the pool of clicks. Yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, uh, the Department of Labor announced today that journalism numbers are disappearing. Journalism jobs are disappearing faster than coal miners. Yeah, these are rookie numbers, uh, but you know the the uh, we can do much better. And uh, you know that's like saying like the like the Stasi is laying off people. I'm like the Stasi is laying off people. I'm like no. The question is, should there be a Stasi? Um, and the answer is no. God has cursed the Stasi, and there should not be a Stasi. And the Stasi is bad. And and uh, you know and and once you stick to that position, that position is so much more alpha. And you know if there's anything that can wake up this like degenerate i just want to grill you know burger american who's being uh you know uh, penetrated really penetrated uh, really painfully as 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 we described earlier and you know how can we make him up and sort of feel the full humiliation of his experience and the thing that can wake him up uh, is hope and if you actually basically show him that there's a world in which nobody's doing the raping right you know then you might be able to inspire him but you inspire him a lot less with you know your like constant you know um scammy tv show offers of hemorrhoid cream which is basically what the conservatism has has devolved into make sense uh, yeah okay so uh uh have you been have you been checking out uh ron desantis uh yeah, I mean I, I mean you mean you mean you mean you mean you mean checking out in like in 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 like a gay sense. No, I have <laughs> no. not been out in, no. in, in terms of uh like do you, do you think he wants to to be dictator of America? Uh, I mean, you see little bits of stuff where it where it seems like uh one thing he's young uh uh, basically, uh-huh. it would take a shitload of ambition uh, uh, to want to be the guy. And the other thing is, uh, he doesn't. Uh, uh, he just kind of makes moves. He doesn't make these huge announcements like Trump. He just kind of takes the money and uh, and just moves on. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like the seriousness of you know, obviously he's a he's a very very intelligent uh, you know person. Although I, he's he's of he's of of, of Italian heritage, I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, as <laughs> I mean, as a critical race, obviously that that tells you, that tells us something, right? But um, the uh, you know, that, I mean, you can go in a lot of different directions. I, we'd we'd have to know. Like Italy is a you know, it's a geographical expression as as Metternich. It's a huge place, and um, I think we'd have to know more about his background to. Uh, to really use our critical race theory, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, you know, I do see uh, you know a couple of things that would make me doubt that. I see things, you know, whenever someone is sort of doing things that are sort of clearly for the camera in some sense. The problem is that someone like you know Chris Rufo. I mean, he's a young person, you know, like. He's obviously very excited by by what he's doing. I don't think that he's conscious of his you know griffness at all. And and whereas someone who's a professional politician, when he does something that's fake, kind of knows it. And someone who has who who's basically sort of theory of ruling is that he's going to sort of convey the reality of power. Uh, to the world and kind of break the illusion and kind of lead his people out of the Truman Show, um, which is really yeah. what you have to do as an American dictator, doesn't make these kinds of phony moves in a way. And so there is a phoniness, not to, you know, to, to, to get all J.D. Salinger on you. There is kind of a phoniness that I sense from a long distance there, but it's a very, it's a very faint odor. And, you know, the thing that I would say is that, you know, one, one of the tendencies that I have is, is I tend to blame people for not inventing things, you know, which is always really bad. I mean, and, you know, uh, I think that my task, you know, and the task of others of this new wave uh, of intellectuals and kind of the new critical race theory and, you know, all those perspectives, um, you know, have to offer is basically we can't blame someone like Ron DeSantis for not sort of substituting the fake thing with the real thing because he doesn't really have any idea of what the real thing would be, you know, and and... Uh, to, he's obviously a very smart person. You know, he graduated from first in his class from Yale or something like that. He's been trained in guerrilla warfare. Um, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, um, whatever. But um, the, um, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's sort of it's the job of the intellectual. You know, uh, Plato. It's like Plato's mistake in going to you know Syracuse. It was never Plato's job to go to Syracuse and help Dion Dion be the right kind of tyrant. Uh, Plato should have just stayed in Syracuse and written his books. And uh, you know, if uh, if somebody wants to create the republic, they want to create the republic. You know, and if they don't, they don't. Um, and so your task is basically as an intellectual, my task as an intellectual is to basically say, if somebody wants to create a new world and has the cojones to do it, um, then the understanding of how they do that should be out there. It should be well understood. There should be kind of an intellectual button they can push. Someone like Ron DeSantis, who has to go around all day shaking hands and raising money because that's really what a politician does. I mean, if it's, right. if you think of him as being based, that would be because his staff is based, right? Yeah. And you're starting yeah. to see more people with basically based staffs. You definitely can go to D.C. I can go to D.C. and like meet like based staffers, right? And and the, you know, the base 
the, the, the great the revolutionary is not some guy that reads evil at night. It is a corny dude uh, uh, that with nice teeth. Yeah, a base a base staffer, right? You know, and yeah. and the the um, uh, uh, right, and so you know that's that's not really a thing. It's starting to be a thing, and so it's nice to have sort of base staffers, and it's just like you have to understand, you know. The understanding, you know, the the people and the nation can't walk the path until they understand the path that they're going to walk. This is a purely intellectual job. It's a, actually a huge intellectual project. It's really hard. It can absorb a lot of people who basically otherwise might be, I mean, the wrong kind of critical race theorist. And and um, you know, the, and and you know, I mean, because that's of course, you know, the thing about you know, old and new critical race theorists, like the new kinds of critical race theorists really think about solutions. And when I, you know, I mean, permanent solutions, right? And how are we going <laughs> to solve these race problems? And, and there's a lot of answers to these questions. And, and I think okay. it's, I, I think I, it's very I doable. I, I, did not, I would not, I did not like that, this answer coming into this. However, I think you've changed my mind basically because, uh, so I, I, my, my, my imagining of, of taking power is basically you're just grabbing budgets, you hand money to some guy, you say, give me a signed resignation, I'm going to keep it in my safe, and you just add up these guys. However, this, you're saying like, okay, um, you need like a vision of what power looks like. Okay, immediately I go to this example, I really like it much of Huey Long. Like one of the first things Huey right. Long did is puts out this book that says, my first 30 days in life in the white house and he basically lays right. out this thing where he's the dictator of america he says, this is what yeah. i'm going to do i'm this is how me running this this country alone right yes and and that's exactly that that's you know and and it's more than you know like except that you know you need a vision for your first 30 days in the white house but it's even more compelling if you have a vision for your first 30 years in the white house right and you're like basically <laughs> like you know okay Huey Long you know here if you elect me president um you know in 1936 uh here is what America in 1966 is going to look like, you know, and it's like those pictures you see on Twitter of like the futuristic city and, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, you know, basically you're painting with this huge brush and, you know, these little quibblers basically just don't have anything nearly as sexy to oppose you with. And if you have both the first 30 years and the first 30 days, they're just like, Damn, motherfucker! You know, I mean, you know, like they, they, like, like you've just you've mogged them, right? And and that's sort of the sense in which basically Caesar, in many ways, seizes power. He's basically just he's like, look, you know, you saw what I just did to the Gauls. Like, you know, I would uh, take the same energy and ability and use it to make Rome great again. Uh, he, said, just like, he said, like, you're like, I have the dignity to do this, and you've taken it away from me. Like, this was mine, like, yeah, yeah, to begin yeah, with. Right, right. Well, he, he, I mean, yeah, that was his specific beef with the, you know, Republican degenerate aristocrats, right? He's like, and, and, but the thing is, you know, it's like something Napoleon once said, uh, you know, where he's like, every government is safe where the most competent people are in power. Like, you can't really look at Washington and you're like, okay, Washington is safe, right? You know, because there are, <laughs> you know, uh, ways of doing things that are outside Washington's ken that are a thousand times more efficient. Like we saw that, for example, with Obama's frickin' Obamacare website, where he's like, he couldn't even get a sign-up website to work. <laughs> and finally they were like, help, uh, we, you know, 
I mean, the the DC IT business is not small. It's not like there's nobody who makes money programming computers in DC. But they were like, help, yeah. a website. It is beyond us. We need help. And they call in help. And a bunch of Silicon Valley people, who are all libs, of course, but know how to work in the Silicon Valley way, which is basically a monarchical, militaristic way of working. Um, you know, and they just, of course, get it done in like three days or whatever. Right. And uh, maybe it's three weeks. You had a great, uh, but it's, you had a great line where you said, uh, uh, well, see, I, I used to say, um, uh, would you buy an Irish car? Right. And people right, are like, right, right. You, you said, oh, would you buy a car made by, uh, you know, DC? Of course, that's, a, that's right, ridiculous. Right, right, right. If, if the Department of Transportation decided they were going to create the electric car, of course, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and, you know, there's an interesting analog to this in Roman history. So um, not Caesar, but another sort of Caesar-like character is, is Pompey. Yeah, Pompey was known as Pompey the Great. And the reason that Pompey was known as Pompey the Great is that Rome had this pirate problem, um, kind of like Mexico with like drug lords, where basically, you know, there's like huge pirate empires, generations of pirates. And these assholes, these pirates are like such a serious problem that they're really threatening Rome's like food supply because they basically like get all their food from like Egypt or some such shit. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Egypt had a lot more food and a lot fewer people, uh, I guess, in, in those days. And and the um, and so, there ha- the, you know, the Senate is like forced to come to terms with this problem. And of course, these drug lords, these pirates are all like, you know in bed with various provincial officials and they're connected to the political system and it's all this huge corrupt mess. And the official story is like, oh my God, we can't do anything about these pirates. Exactly like Mexico with the drug alerts. So finally, the Senate, for whatever reason, I forget the actual politics, is like, fuck this, we've had enough of this. And they appoint this guy, Pompey, who's like this kid in his 20s, like classic startup bro, right? And they, you know, they take this bro Pompey and they're like, okay, Pompey, we're going to appoint you the CEO of the Mediterranean. And you can basically have all the money and all the resources you want, and your job is to unfuck the Mediterranean. And Pompey is like, sure, no problem, I'll unfuck the Mediterranean. And without any IT at all, without any computers, telephones, guns, anything like that, he clears the whole fucking ocean of pirates in three motherfucking months. Right. And, you know, Romans look at this and they're like, wow, there are two ways of doing things like the Republican way, which fucking sucks. And the military way, which just like completely fucking works. Right. And so, you know, when you're like basically like, you know, Caesar is going to take control of Rome and rule, you know, create a new kind of military empire, which rules, governs in the military way and not in the old, you know, senatorial way. You know, that starts looking pretty good. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, when you have that kind of, you know, if you sort of compare that basis for this is the basis on which I'm going to go to the people and ask them for the, you know, their support versus my complaint that my butt hurts is the basis on which I'm going to ask them for. Of course your butt hurts. You're getting, uh, you're getting pounded, right? You know, and so, you know, basically instead of the pitch is no, now you are the one who are going to do the pounding. You know, like it's a totally different pitch. It's a much more attractive pitch. It's also a pitch that's much harder to understand and you have to convey, um, you know, basically a totally different, um, um, you know, a totally different impression. Um, and 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 so in a way when i look at what someone like chris rufo is doing the reason i'm you know 
obviously he's a great guy. Obviously, you know, if he just wanted to be a shill, he would have studied critical race theory instead of fighting it, right? <laughs> you know, and he could be yeah. doing lectures next to Tim Wise, right? This is a talented man. <laughs> yeah. He could be working for the enemy, and he's not, and we have to respect that. And he's getting shit done, and we also have to respect that. And he's working hella hard. Uh, you know, he's doing, I mean, the amazing thing about Rufo is that he's like a one-stop, vertically integrated shop. Like, he goes all the way from, like, research to legislation, I mean, this is like, this is Renaissance man stuff, right? You know, um, but, uh, you know, in the end, like, he's basically working for the enemy. And he's basically making my job as someone whose job it is to basically lead people out of the Truman Show because basically, you know, it's like you're watching the Truman Show and basically my advice is you're in a building, get out of the building, get in the boat, sail it to the edge of the world, bump into the world, go out the door, right? And his advantage is his, his thinking – you've seen the Truman Show, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, and his, his, his advice, his, his advice uh, you know um, – um, is very different. His advice is your wife is a psycho. Like you've got to divorce her and like get a new wife. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, it's true. Like there's something really weird about your relationship, Truman, with your wife, you know, <laughs> but like, this is not the problem. The problem is Kristoff, right. You know, and uh, the, the problem is that you actually live in a giant fake dome world and you're being basically filmed for like TV ad bucks. And, um, uh, <laughs> So uh, yeah, the the um, um, favorite, uh, that, that's it. My yeah, favorite Pompey that's story a, is uh, you know he's supposed to be the only goyim that's ever been into the holy of holies. Oh, Basically, right. he, he was he was uh, uh, he was uh, just certain that these Jews had it was just full of money, and you know he was out there getting yeah. every every. <laughs> bit of gold he could uh, oh, yeah, out of yeah. well I mean looting was of course a huge thing for, for a general at, at that time and place right well uh, money, you know in, in both sense in, in their time and our time the, the, tre- the money is the power right this, yeah, this is why yeah, this yeah. is why team even more rule. so even, even more so than well yeah maybe not more so than but absolutely true the money is the money is the power and when I say I'm, by the way when I say I'm against prescription Okay, you know, I want to be perfectly like, like, yeah. I, I, I don't want to go to, go too far here. I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely against killing the rich, whatever their their ideology is. Um, uh, you know, as far as taking all of their money or maybe just most of it, I think that's in many cases absolutely appropriate. Um, you know, but um, I'm sorry. Go on. Um, yeah, well, you have these guys like uh, uh, Bill Gates. Uh, you, well, this is one of my our favorite thing so you know if you talk to the communists one of these things they say is like uh, it's better like uh, uh if you want to to have uh, the best thing to happen is that all small businesses are crushed and then like uh, uh like one or two titans of industry like uh take like bezos is good basically because he's he just mm. hoovers up all the capital and then you can kind of like uh, well it's just a, you can just go get it from one guy yeah, uh, yeah. I, in this case i don't disagree with that it's like okay well this this uh, this gates guy whatever he's got you know he owns everything he owns like half the farmland well that's uh, uh you know he could park you know, that out you know the, your... you know you know you know guys 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 as a computer guy i can tell you like what all of this ownership and all of this money and whatever they're just entries in a database Okay, and you just change the entry. And, you know, I think the right <laughs> thing to say, first of all, if you're a foundation, an endowment, uh, you know, a university or whatever, obviously, um, yeah, that's that's all seized. I mean, all everything. Yeah, you, you can't expect yeah. it to keep operating. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but if you're if you're a, a, you know, a rich, a rich progressive dude, or it may not even be just a progressive dude, uh, you know, although, you know, presumably there's exceptions for, you know, anyone who really supported 
um, you know, the change, as, as I think we're going to call it. Um, but if you supported the change, you, you may be exempt from this. But for, you know, basically, you can assume that any ordinary rich person is a progressive. And so the right way to treat them again is... Uh, you know, has to be gentle because you you actually don't want to fuck them in the ass. You want well, to give right. them a reach around, well, well, right? You know, and how, and, did, and how did Julius Caesar, so Julius Caesar took over so basically by Julius obsessively Caesar, propagandizing that he would not do this. Uh, he that just he would not do this, right? Yeah. Right, and so and so I think the situations are you know are a little bit different. I think that you have to do it, but you have to do it in a softer way. And so rather than executing George Soros, you say, okay, look, George Soros, you're a rich man. You only you don't. We're not going to like humiliate you by making you you know a Walmart greeter. Right. You know, I can't really imagine George. I mean, George Soros should live out the rest of his life in dignity and comfort. He should live as a rich person. He should enjoy the amenities of being a rich person. And basically anyone who has fuck you money should continue to have fuck you money. So the thing is, the idea of like expropriating all of George Soros's assets is really that has this sadistic tone that is really wrong. Right. You should always uh -huh. treat officers as officers and, you know, defeated generals should be treated with great mercy. And so if you basically, you know, fix a number, which is like for your age and your, um, you know, in medical condition and, you know, what is actual F you money from you for you so you shouldn't have to work ever again. So for someone as old as George Soros, that, may, that might be as much as five or six million dollars. Right. So, you know, if you leave him with that amount of money, uh, you know, what does he really have to be butthurt about? I'm like, man, you're a millionaire. You know, it's over. We know this thing is over. You know, it's over. I know it's over. Everybody knows it's over. Just like chill out and write in memoirs, man. You know, and, and that vibe, that vibe. You sound is like Huey so Long more, right now, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that vibe, <laughs> that vibe is, it's, you know, but it's more chill than Huey Long. Like, the vibe has to be extremely chill here, right? And, you know, and, and so, and the sort of the more force you act with, the chiller the vibe can be. And, you know, for the 21st yeah. century, you really want a very, very chill vibe for your revolutions. You're not, like, hanging people from the lamppost or anything. And so, now, you yeah, know... Yeah, that was Caesar's deal. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's the, he treated people with a velvet glove, and the, and the yeah. you know... The implicit thing was, you know, well, I could Caesar, do Caesar all these Frank, like Caesar Frank, like you know, I, he was so good at that that you know, like many people who are excellent at uh, things, he grew. Uh, I mean, he should have paid a little more attention to his personal security, but uh, you know, the um, <laughs> um, and then you know, Octavian, although I think he blamed it on Mark Antony, did a little bit of that shit before he was really Augustus. Um, you know, but um, um, he was a, uh, Augustus was just uh, the op he was a, a, br a brutal small man. I, mean, I know obviously he was a he was a brilliant administrator. Blah, blah, blah. We all worship him. Blah, blah, blah. But like on a more like, uh, uh, on a personal level, he was a small, brutal man compared to Julius Caesar. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we certainly don't have like a great literary, you know, corpus from from Augustus the way we have one from <laughs> Julius Caesar, and it's not because Augustus didn't have time to write, right? You know, um, I um, pray all the time that uh, you know he wrote a book that we don't get called Annie Cato, which is just supposed to be. Uh, I love right. Caesar's, Caesar. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that no, would be and, so and, wonderful. Just that a, would be so wonderful if we dug that up him. and like if we dug that up in some you know scroll. I mean, you know, it's like it's like Cicero. Like Cicero is like to me the ultimate like Roman shit lib. Cicero is he's yeah. like the James <laughs> yeah. Lindsay yes. of Rome. You know, um and and you know, like like he's he's not he's the shit lib who sees the problems, right? You know, but he's still a lib. And he's totally the James Lindsay of Rome. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's totally a guy who understands like where uh uh, uh 
he will he he would have been the guy who would have been uh, uh the not uh, he would have been the guy who would have been the communist then the nazis and the shit lived no problem you know he just uh, yeah. uh whatever yeah. the power is yeah he was he was and he was ultimately Star in fucker. it only for himself and 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 cicero's ego really shows through at the same time you know i think one of the flaws in the american system is so much of it is kind of larped from cicero um yeah. and you know they they admired Cicero and you know that may be of what what got us to where we are today. Uh, yeah, I, we the per, the person we talk about most in this podcast is Caesar and just basically how uh, uh disgusting uh Cicero Caesar uh he also like he had this great sense of when he when uh, uh when he did have, have power and when he didn't. Uh, my favorite examples yeah. are so you know he's you know the story where he's captured from the pirate ship and he realized oh, the like, pirate story is so good. I'm there I'm there like you can't do anything to me. I'm your meal ticket, so I can just do whatever I want because, like, uh, if I'm gone, you're toast. The, the, the opposite example, which is one uh, people don't, like, think about so much, is when uh, a guy basically fucks his wife. If not fucked her, then uh, she yeah. clearly wanted to participate. He's on trial, and they uh-huh. say, look, this guy did this to you, didn't he? Like, uh, uh, what do you say? And he says, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't have any proof of that. They said, well, well, you divorced your wife. I mean, obviously, he says, I don't know anything. And, and that moment, he's realizing, like, this guy is a fucking gang leader. Uh, uh, I, like, yeah. I don't have the chips at this moment. So this, like, even though I am just getting absolutely cucked in every sense, uh, this is not the time. Yeah, yeah, no, his his, I mean, and, and his mix of of military and political instincts were just so remarkable. And then, you know, of course, as you know, his his writing is just like, you know, it's like like Caesar is like, you know, Caesar in comparison to the writers of his time, and of course later Roman writers mostly only became only more flowery and and unreadable. And Caesar has this incredibly plain prose style, which is actually you know comparable to in some ways one of the great. Americans now. I think Mark Twain had a lot to do with this book, but if you read the memoirs of U.S. Grant, they're written in the age of flowery writing of of the Victorians. But both the memoirs of Grant and Sherman, and I say that despite them being Yankees, I you know I know this. You can read Admiral <laughs> Sims to to clean your palate. But um, um, the uh, you know are just they're just these masterpieces of prose. They're just this, like beautiful, plain, mas- simple writing. Masculine writer. It's who, what, when, where, why. Uh, uh, Absolutely. That's one that, like, uh, I, I, I had committed like half. I've gotten. I had almost committed like half of his diaries to memory. Uh, uh, wow. the Rex Warner translation. And one of the things is like, I read this. And I'm like, this is a guy. Like, I understand like like what he's saying and like why he makes decisions. I understand when he's like making an appeal. When he's when uh, 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 when, when uh, and you know if he reads something from like 200 years ago, I'm like, I don't understand. Who are these people? This is a, uh, this is like an alien. <laughs> Yeah, this is something that that I you know I strongly recommend um, James Anthony Frude's. Uh, you say it the way uh, uh, Bill and Ted pronounce Frude, and uh, but it's actually spelled F R O U D E. And he has a wonderful evocation of the period that I just read called uh, Sketches uh, Sketch of Caesar. Uh, it's about more than Caesar; it's about the whole period, and he really brings these characters to life. And you know, one of the points he makes is in his uh, introduction is exactly the point that you know you just made, which is that you know there's just long stretches of history where we know that this history is made of actual human beings, but, you know, we just, all we have is a caricature. And we know that behind this caricature, there were actual human beings who acted like humans, but (coughs) we just can't see through it. And then, you know, in the case of Caesar, we look at this and we're just like, um, 
this guy is completely, uh, uh, you know, like these people are completely human. We know Caesar, we know Cicero, and they act like human beings and we can relate to them as peers. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's what that's what someone like Caesar, you know, basically has to offer. So, I mean, and, and you compare basically like like imagine, you know, let's talk about let's go back to the subject of the podcast, uh, you know, and talk about, you know, critical race theory. Let's suppose that you demanded equal time for not even for my new critical race theory. It's a new theory. It has. I mean, there's a lot of research that still has to be done uh, in <laughs> NCRT. Um, but uh, and, and I, you know, that 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 work is ongoing. But, uh, you know. So if you demanded simply, we know everything that needs to be known about Caesar, and if you demanded, you know, kind of equal time for critical race theory and, you know, um, uh, imperial Roman theory, for example, and, yes. you know, you're like, okay, we're going to learn the 21st, one 21st century definition of virtue, which is basically you have to be a, a cuck and, and grease yourself, and we're going to learn another, you know, um, you know, first century BC definition of virtue, which is the Roman definition of virtue, and we're going to read both Ibram X. Kendi and Caesar. And I believe that if you took a modern high school class and you had them read both Ibram X. Kendi and Caesar, or, uh, you know, what's that girl's? White Fragility. White Fragility. Um, and then, Crenshaw, you know, or, oh, no, no, I know you're talking about the... Yeah, the yeah. She was Italian. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the pop, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, there's Italians and that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 we didn't... Uh, that's not how deep it is, right? You know, we'll learn you know, that. Uh, you'll learn all yeah. about that in, uh, in the new CRT. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, well, well, I mean, one of the, one, one of the, you know, like, uh, I mean, a core, obviously, uh, you know, probably about the research, uh, you know, very serious psychological research into uh, into stereotype accuracy. I mean, stereotype accuracy is, is one of the most um, sort of experiment, that and IQ is one of the most, are two of the most experimentally confirmed um, you know, sociological results, right? And um, and, and yes. so, and yeah, pattern recognition, right? And so here we have, you know, uh, stereotype accuracy is pattern recognition plus the wisdom of crowds. And, you know, one, one, one stereotype they have, um, you know, in Italy, and I learned this from Luigi Barzini's, you know, the Italians from, from 1960. I don't know if they still, they still know this in Italy, but I, I suspect they might, any Italian readers, you know, give a shout out, obviously, is that, um, you know, there's a joke they tell about uh, Garibaldi, uh, you know Garibaldi, right? And the yes. joke is that uh, Garibaldi didn't unite Italy. He divided Africa. He, that's right. Um, and he divided <laughs> Africa. And, um, um, you know, uh, if you've ever been to Naples, uh, you really, that's a... <laughs> it's more than just humor. I mean, you really feel... You feel like, I mean, you know, that's, a, that's like a living a lived experience in critical race theory. I mean, and one of the things, by the way, you'll need to become a new critical race theorist is... is um, you know, a lot of, I mean, you really need to go there and have the experience. You need to go on site, right? You can't be, you know, if you're, if you're researching, you know, say, uh, Kazakhs, for example, you've got to go to Kazakhstan. I mean, there's no question, you, right? You've got to get like the calipers out. You've got to do the work. You've got to get the calipers out, right? You've got to, you've got to measure the Kazakhstanis. You've got to live with the Kazakhstanis. Uh, you know, if there's, you know, like, you've got to learn their sexual habits. I mean, you know, uh, for example, the reason Margaret Mead is so, you know, sort of got so defrauded in her, like, Samoan research is that she went to Samoa and reported on the sex life of Samoans without having, ha actually having, having any sex with Samoans, right? So with the new crit critical race, race theory, like, yes, is interracial sex sex a part of critical race theory absolutely we, we, right, we did so. a, 
We we did a podcast not too long ago, and of course, uh, when we go places, you know, people like you guys talk to, to Curtis Yarvin, and uh, one of the things uh, someone uh, used, they said, well, that guy is a angloid legalist, and it made me think like the, like An angloid legalist. What? What? What's your legalist? I, I, you know, I'm very. What you're describing is like a is like a red coat officer. You know, he's out there on the. Yeah, on yeah. The, it's it's yeah. Anglo. It's definitely it's definitely an apologetically Anglo version of critical race theory. Um, you know, and and so and and of course, when we think about the kind of historical antecedents of critical race theory, we think of them as as coming. You know, they're really very very Teutonic. They're very and then there's this kind of clotted rhetoric, which is very. You know, if we can go full James Lindsay here. Yeah, it's kind of Hegelian, you know, and I've never really liked Hegel. And um, Caesar did this work with the with with the with the Ang- with the British. Uh, you know, this is uh, he was like, well, these guys they they wear they wear blue paint and they fuck all day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that. Oh, obviously, was that itself was critical race theory, right? You know, but um, um, yeah, you know, uh, like I I, I mean. Uh, there's so much that we can do in a positive sense of just expanding people's imaginations. And, uh, you know, and, and the thing of like this, like butthurt stuff is so, it's like so constricted. And so like, you can sense like the boomer, like yelling out over his like can of Bud Light, maybe even throwing it at the screen. Like, you know, like the screen has a crack in it where like Tucker Carlson's nose is because, you know, he hears the stuff, right. <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. It's very true. Like the butt hurt is real. Like your butt you, actually hurts. It the, hurts this, more than you can possibly imagine, but you're like half asleep. Right. And, and, and you, you know, but I can see that temptation to like wake people up and feel the butt hurt. You you've talked to uh, to people that are very powerful billionaires and stuff. I just one one of these guys just has to be, has to go. We're gonna we're gonna fucking bring back the Roman Empire, right? Don't, uh, you know, well, you know, you could never bring back. I mean, you know, the 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 it's been done like you can never times, step in the, it's been you done can many never times, step in this. You can never step in the same river twice. Are you stepping in a river? Yes, you're stepping in a river. It's a completely different river. Um, and, and, you know, I think the field is sort of wide open for kind of, you know, you know, I'm gonna, I'm working on this book. Gray Mirror is the title of the book. That's my, the theme of my Substack, which is graymirror.substack.com. And, um, you know, if you're okay, like being kind of left out of this discourse, you, probably shouldn't even go to the site and you certainly shouldn't subscribe, especially if this kind of stuff is too much for you. Um, you know, so, cause you know, we don't want anyone at Grimier. Uh, we want only cool people. So, but if you're, if you can handle the kind of discourse that you've heard here, you should come to my site and subscribe. And, um, you know, but there's so many visions of such an amazing future you can offer if you basically stop limiting yourself by the sort of um, convention of what's politically possible. Actually, nothing interesting is politically possible, uh, you know. And and so you actually have this convention of what's politically possible. None of these things are possible anyway. Like UBI is not even really possible, right? You know. <laughs> and 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 so um, um, you know when you basically throw these things aside and instead of designing ways to fix this horrible blob of Washington that we have, you design um, ideas for the next regime, or as I call it, you know, when you're basically, you know, when you work on public policy today, you know, you get a degree in public policy and it's a degree in, you know, policy is the art of the possible. It's like what's possible. Um, and, 
the nudge, right? You know, and 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 you're like, what will people you know vote for? And I'm just like, uh, you know, what can what can happen? I'm like, nothing can happen, you know. But if you're designing, you know, and and so that's relative public policy because that's public policy relative to the existing regime. But if you're designing absolute public policy, which is what absolutely uh, a sovereign power should do with a country like America in the state that it's currently in. Um, you're in a completely different intellectual space. And, you know, even if that space is just intellectual masturbation and it's, there's the, all, this empire is forever, unlike all other empires in the past, and, um, um, you know, uh, nothing is possible, it's still this amazing space for, like, intellectual masturbation. It's like the best porn you've ever seen because you can do anything, right? And so from an intellectual perspective, even the abstraction of what, should power do if power could do anything in the current state of the continent of America is a wildly interesting question. And, you know, there's so much work that can be done in that space. There's so much, you know, cool premium content that can be generated. There are so many Substack subscriptions that are just up there for for the taking. And, I, you know, I feel like I'm a, basically the only gold miner on this incredible vein of gold. And, you know, am I making bank? Well, bank, but yeah, people seem to like it. Uh, and I'm just like, you know, um, as a grifter, I should keep it to myself. But really, my message is, you know, come on, everybody. There's there's a lot of gold here. And you should be digging it up with both hands. You should be imagining what the next world should look like because that's what you should be thinking as you see this one kind of palpably coming to an end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my, that's my, that's my, that's my perspective. Uh, You know, that might be a little galaxy brain for the likes of Chris Rufo. I'd love to, uh, you know, if he listens to this, I'd love to, uh, love to debate him sometime. I mean, I'm obviously a friendly, uh, friendly critic. Um, And maybe I can (laughs) convince him of the virtues of critical race theory. I mean, new critical race theory, of course. Yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking earlier, we were talking about those pirates that, you know, that Pompey, the Pompey fault and, uh, Kidnap Caesar uh, yeah. to wrap it back up. They were Albanians. Ah, uh, these problems right. never go away. You know. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, and yeah, a lot of them were they were Ilrians. You know, which is basically yeah. the same thing um, as as an Albanian. You know, I hope Martin Shkreli isn't isn't listening to this. I feel like <laughs> there may be some. Is, some is kind he still of mix is he still doing his, a bid? Uh, I, you know, yeah, you know, uh, I, there may have been, I mean, he's clearly, well, he's unbalanced in an Albanian way, but the intelligence uh, is, uh, you know, I suspect that it's, well, you know, whenever you see someone like that, you have to suspect that there's, uh, you know, to be frank, a, a Jew in the woodpile. And I suspect that yeah, we're really Wikipedia looking at Wikipedia early life. I suspect uh, that we're, or Wikipedia <laughs> early life. And I wouldn't be surprised to find that we're actually looking at a Shrell Juski here, you know, um, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I'm not saying you know, but I'm but I'm saying, uh, you know, uh, um, um, but uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's just speculation. It's not. I wasn't looking at the early life, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's you know the Albanian question. Uh, you know, maybe we should do another podcast that's kind of purely on the Albanian question because uh, I think it would be uh, you know. Uh, I don't know. They, really they got shooters. I haven't heard that's a that's a uh, racist. <laughs> All right, yeah, not not fine, 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 fine. You know, I love Albanians. I mean, you know the, you know, or you know, shkberries, shkberries. You know, have gigs and tosks or something. All like, great, 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 great people. You know, like really, like what we need is more Albanian immigration. Um, you know, especially to like Malibu or whatever. I think that would really diversify Malibu. Our, 
Are, are Albanians the... I, no, I should stop before I get myself in trouble. Jessica <laughs> um, Alba's uh, Albanian, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, okay. So, uh, God bless. God bless, you know, the great uh, Iskander or whatever is Skanderbeg. Skanderbeg. God bless Skanderbeg um, and the whole uh, Albanian peoples. And uh, Kosovo, <laughs> of course, is Albanian and will always be Albanian. Fuck those dogs of Serbs and their dog mothers. Uh, I didn't say that either. Uh, the Serbs are... Uh, no, they can, uh, they can be quite truculent as well. So, I guess what I want to say is I have no dog in that fight and um, I don't think anyone has actually descended from, uh, from dogs... Uh, uh, you know, except, uh, you know, possibly... Uh, the Welsh. Uh, yeah, the Welsh, right. <laughs> and, uh, you have, you I'm sure my this, Welsh brother-in-law will... Sorry, you, go on. You ever seen this pathetic um, uh, uh, conservative uh, propaganda, this TPUSA stuff? Uh, the turning... Uh, I've seen... Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar, vaguely there's, familiar there's with Turning Point USA. There's some great memes where they, they, they use this motif and the same uh, things, and they, they restyle it as if it was like an Albanian nationalist movement. <laughs> It's like oh, uh, that's so, nice. That's it's like sorry, libtard, but you know, uh, uh, Illyria belongs to the Albanians and shit like this. The Scriberi's, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, the thing is, and you know, I, I think we've how long we've we, we've been doing this? Uh, two hours and forty five minutes, something like that. So yeah. it's yeah. Uh, probably I'm probably abusing you know probably all of your listeners have long since stopped listening and are just like jacking off and playing video games. But you um, um, me, not not for <laughs> Curtis Yarvin. <laughs> and well, at a certain point, there will be. I can't. I yeah, can't really I go always on like this forever. Really, a two, uh, uh, once you go over two hours, it's um, yeah. It, you, it becomes you, it, it's a different it becomes kind of brutal. experience. A different kind <laughs> of experience. And besides, I'm almost out of cognac here. But in any case, the. Um, um, <laughs> Uh, the uh, again, I endorse the you know the Lerat VSOP. Uh, that's what you should be drinking. You don't need to go for the XO. The VSOP is sufficient. Uh, I don't run you about forty bucks a bottle of total wine. Absolutely worth it. Um, um, in any case, um, Graymere brought to you by Cognac Lerat. Um, uh, um, <laughs> no actual affiliation. I'm just a fan. Um, um, in any case, one of the things that sort of makes all of this possible in a way, uh, which is, I think, you know, for your, for your background in media, media criticism, uh, you know, which you guys are like, you know, like super educated Southerners, uh, you know, and, and, <laughs> and you know, with the kind of, you know, uh, you know, w- with that kind of background, you know, one thing that's sort of interesting to observe is the increasing sophistication of the audience, over the 20th century. And when I say the audience, I mean both the entertainment audience and the political audience because they're the same audience. And, you know, there's always been irony and sophistication in history, but for most of history, those have been reserved to a very, very small elite, even if they've existed at all. And the mental space and the mental world that most people have existed in has been much more simplistic. You can see this if you look at war propaganda in some ways, because if you look at like World War One propaganda, it's very straightforward. It's like, you know, how yeah. do I convince Americans to fight Germany? I say the Hun is coming to rape your sister with his spiked helmet, right? And and you know, and you have this poster of the Hun, this barbaric gorilla like thing, and he's like, you know, he's like thrusting <laughs> with his pickle halba, you know, and here's this woman about to, I mean it just I can't even mention it, right? And and so you look at this this propaganda and of course it's not film propaganda, it's just posters, but you're like, yep, okay, this is the war that destroyed Western civilization and it appears to have been fought by men, grown men, with the mindset of eleven year olds. Um, because, of course, the propaganda on every side is just as unsophisticated, mostly. Um, 
then you go to World War II and you're like, like Hitler lives or whatever. And you're like, you know, wow, okay, it's definitely more sophisticated. This war appears to have been fought by 13-year-olds. Um, <laughs> and, 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 of course, you know, you don't have the all-inspiring war propaganda so much later, but you can follow that through the entertainment audience. And so movies, for example, are getting more and more sophisticated, but you still don't see this modern sense of, like, you know, seriously drugged out irony until the 60s. And, you know, the way I like to put the increase in the sort of mass capacity for conceiving ironies is suppose you take like a, you know, a film like Inception, which is like a blockbuster in like 2010 or whatever, and you take it back and you show it to like the audience in like 1960, they're expecting a Cary Grant film or whatever the fuck, you show them Inception, and they're just like, uh, they're like, <laughs> somebody put something in my popcorn. <laughs> I am never coming to this theater again. Um, and, and, and like, you know, this film appears to be made by Satan. Like, they can't even process the sequence of images that they see, right? You know, um, I don't, they don't hardly even integrate the frames. You know, even in, like, you know, you showed Inception in, like, 1985, it would be, like, a weird cult film. It would be, like, Repo Man or something. You showed it in 2010, <laughs> it makes, like, $300 million. And you ask people what's going on in Inception, they're like, oh, yeah, there's three levels of la- layers of reality, and you fall backward into the bathtub, and you pop up one and you know the people are just so completely used to this these techniques of irony and meta and they've been so widely you know distributed across the population right and so that affects the raw material of political engineering and when you basically try to end you know get energy out of people based on the principle of you should be really butthurt because you're being raped in the ass and you're not even complaining about it and you even kind of like it. And instead, let's start by, you know, applying some hemorrhoid cream or something like that, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's all, you know, it's, it's all based on this sort of, you know, like, actually, if, if people responded to being butthurt in any normal historical fashion, they would already have established the, like, 17th Reich, you know, based on what's being taught to their kids in school, right? And, and Did you guys see that viral video that just, like, just yesterday, uh, where they're, they're at a spa in California or whatever, and this lady comes comes to the front desk and says, hey, there's a man in the, in the lady's He's got his, his penis out And they're like, there are little girls in here And this person's like, there's nothing I can do about it This is the law now And this this you know like progressive guy comes up to her And he's like, excuse me, you shouldn't be saying that You're bigoted And she just turns around And she's like, she's a, a maybe version 2.5 Not quite version 3 of America uh-huh, You know what right, I'm saying? Yeah. She goes, well if you were a real man You'd do something about this And it just rolls off that guy's back Like a, like water on the Yeah, 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 yeah it doesn't hurt him. This is, he by the way, superior um, to that. By the way, this he knows is an he's su- important lesson that, that uh, conservatives would have uh, would have learned if they had read your stuff before is that uh, they were they were not, in fact, one more Supreme Court justice away from uh, yeah the, the right. <laughs> strangely, because strangely the, way, the football. Strangely, this, Lucy has again moved the football. Right, you know, yeah. and 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 uh, and, and this, yeah, and and so and you know, like let me let me finish this, sure. this analogy though. Uh, you know, the point is that you have. Um, you know, if you look at the modern, you know, uh, populace, 
Uh, these are some of the most weakest, most pusillanimous, most <laughs> apathetic, most disconnected voters that have ever existed. And so when you ask them to behave like, you know, the Sons of Liberty in the 1770s or something, <laughs> you're just not going to get that. And the ones who do behave like that will basically wind up doing January 6th, right? It's just a total unmitigated shit show. And, you know, Political engineering, like all engineering, sort of depends on the fuel you have for it. And what we have is this population that is, like, uniquely capable of outstanding leaps of irony. And basically of just, like, not taking reality seriously. And so, you know, when you say, okay, my way of convincing politic people to do shit politically is I'm going to convince them sincerely that their, their, their anus is in pain. They need, you know, maybe a smaller guy to work on them. They need, you know, some cream should be put on the area, uh, you know, between rounds. Um, you know, that basically butthurt-oriented politics uh, you're relying on a capacity that they used to have, but they no longer have. Instead, I think the politics of the 20th century will rely on a capacity that they used to not have, but they now have, which is the capacity for these immense leaps of irony. And with these immense leaps of irony, if you ask people to say, hey, wow, why don't we just shut down the government and replace it with another one? Like, an ironic person would be like, sure, why not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what else have we tried? <laughs> you know, let's try that and see what happens, right? You know, and, and so they're much more... It's actually much easier to move them a long distance than to move them a short distance because you move them a long distance with the aid of this power of irony, which, um, you know, is just a new power that you didn't think you had. Whereas if you try to move them with the power of butthurt, it just gets, you know, progressively weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's you why, could make it you know, into romanticism, right? I mean, you could, yeah. it, it could, it could do what romanticism did. It to could the late do what romanticism did, where basically people are like they're in this kind of grim, you know, like, like you suddenly sort of introduce the sense of magic and possibility into the world of politics, which has this kind of been this kind of grim affair. It's like you know, romantic nationalism sort of goes together. You're not, you know, when you try to do romantic nationalism all over again, you fail. But you know, the point is to actually learn from the you know the meta thing in a way. And what you have to do is give people a sense that you're offering them something wildly improbable but enormous. And that wildly improbable thing will become possible. My, my friend uh, said, tweeted out today, uh, post 20, said, modern people, uh, if, if, November, if November rain had come out like, like yesterday, people would just say, what is this cheesy word salad? Like, what, like, oh, oh like, you, like, uh, 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 you know, because it's all these like overt themes of uh, uh, love and romance and stuff. And people would just be like, right. what the hell is, is this? Right. Okay. All right. I think I think we should uh, should we wrap it up <laughs> yes, after that. Was that was that was that was that at least an eight out of ten? Did we ha did we have a good podcast? Yeah, uh, not the excellent. Ten out of ten. Uh, absolutely. Right. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, gray mirror. Gray with an A. Mirror. Gray with an A as in America. Uh, dot substack. <laughs> dot com. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, hopefully I'll be seeing that uh, spike in subscription soon. So th thank you so much, guys. And uh, let's talk again sometime soon. That's just a little bit more than the long of the line.